Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, he's back on the prison blogs, it's Arturo Zurita! You know, with as much as you loved Eternals, I figured there was going to be an Eternals joke there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> ten to choose from, another two that were cut out. There's plenty plenty of stuff right there, Zach, but yeah. have you been? Been a little bit of a minute, but yeah. we just got done watching Eternals, speaking of. It was so long, it you just got out of the theater. all this time just to get through the end of the latest Marvel movie, and unfortunately that meant that we, you know, we had a little bit of interruption, but you know, we had to get through Eternals to, to bring you our thoughts, and we're, we're excited to share them. A lot of ex- stuff we're excited to talk about. Uh, this week, you had some adventures at the Chicago International Film Festival. Uh, I, of yep. course, have seen a few of those movies, so I'm happy to finally talk to you about your thoughts on Drive My Car and Come On, Come On and Worst Person in the World. Uh, so we'll get into all those, but you also saw Dune, which we need to talk about. You saw The Last Duel, which we need to talk about. And yeah, uh, probably should get around to Eternals. So we'll do all that in just a moment. But a reminder that if you're not subscribed to the Intercut podcast, either subscribe to our audio feed available on most podcatchers or the video feed available youtube.com slash Intercut pod. Subscribe to both, why don't you? And then follow us on our social media platforms, whether that's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We are at Intercut pod. That's at Intercut P-O-D. That's short for podcast. You can also find us on Patreon at Intercut Pod and support the show for as little as $1 per month. And another reminder to leave us those five-star reviews. Uh, anytime you leave a five-star review on Apple iTunes and help boost the podcast and show and, and uh, spread the ratings around to boost our show, it makes me happier than whenever one of the dudes from Thrones shouted Cersei in Eternals. I couldn't and get over and that, Eternal man. Gets its wings. Yeah, and Eternal definitely gets its wings the every Celestial time you give us a five-star review. So, uh, shout out to those of you who have given us a five-star review in the past. Appreciate you. Or who will do it now that you've you've heard my request. You know, it's been a little bit since we got a good five-star review to read on the show. So, you know, leave, leave some thoughts and I'll read it out on the next podcast. Anyway. Let's get into the movies. We're going to start this way, this podcast out the way we start out most of our podcasts with what we are watching. Art, are we going to get into it with Eternals first, or what do you think? I saw Dune five times in theaters, and I feel like I <laughs> still haven't good. even seen it. I like Dune a lot. Dune is a fantastic movie. Denny, one of the best directors out there. Uh, I was very excited for this one. Uh, look... Zach, did you see it in Lincoln Lincoln Square like I asked you to? I, I unfortunately, you know, it's the it's the New York press press screening. I kind of I kind of didn't have a say over where we did it, um, but I kind of I, I I do miss that opportunity, like because it is a movie that really rewards that big screen experience. I've, I've been trying to convince Caitlin to to do it with me, but I think Eternals might have kicked it out of that theater by now. So I yeah, I, it did. I you snow- had two weeks here. Nice Let me nerd news. out a little bit here. Yeah, go ahead. Dune, as everybody knows, is the the, the space epic from uh, the one and only Denny Villeneuve. Dune is a masterpiece, and y'all need to go watch it. That's pretty much what I was getting at. And uh, at this point in time, I believe that uh, Austin, Texas, is going to be the only one that's playing it in uh, the correct 
ratio or what it's supposed to be. They're going to be bringing it back. I'm looking to make the road trip because, like I said, I've seen it multiple times in its IMAX format, but not in its true full 143 scope. And there's a specific shot where you see a spaceship. What you're supposed to see is above that spaceship, and I have yet to see that, so I feel like I have not experienced the movie. Out of all the IMAX stuff that's out there, uh, I'm sure as some of you may have seen, there was actually, um, uh, for Eternals, Chloe had submitted a bunch of Denny's stills for what she wanted to do for the movie. Yeah. And then it was Denny who talked to her and said, hey, you, you know – Milk them. <laughs> they got all the money. Try to shoot a, uh, as much of this as you can in IMAX. So mm-hmm. I know that a lot of Eternals is supposed to be filmed in, uh, what is it, one nine. And then when you go up to space, because she wanted to show the Celestials and she wanted to you know, use this format of IMAX storytelling, it goes even wider to the 143 to show you like how powerful these beings were supposed to be. So I'm just excited for more IMAX showings to be out there. I know they created new cameras. Um that they were able to use for Dune. There's this new uh, RELF camera that's out there. Even Antlers used a camera that was very similar, uh, the Sony Venice. So as you know, I'm a geek for – I love IMAX completely. So being able to have a movie because you know I was complaining about No Time to Die, how that only had like two sequences, which I loved. Mm -hmm. But it only had two sequences and the rest of it, you know, I'm just seeing black bars on the IMAX screen. This movie had 73 glorious minutes of it. But it's still not the 73 minutes of the big version that I still need to go see. But uh, overall, I thought the story is very interesting. I like the poetic um, way that he kind of like uh, approached it. it it's very um, rhythmic in the way that he approaches the visions of Paul and how Paul's supposed to be this messiah for these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know there was a lot of critiques against the movie as well. So I'm very excited for part two because I feel like part two, I feel like part one even answered a lot of the critiques people had for this movie. But I thought the performances all around were fantastic. Um, without a doubt, Javier Bardem. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing that is so cool about when you're working on this scale and you actually have a filmmaker who knows how to utilize their actors is that you can bring in Javier Bardem and he can change the, the balance in a room with just that gravitas and that deep voice. Like how, how do you not feel it uh, when you get that deep voice booming through theater speakers, you know? Uh, another one would have been, you know, just the way that he approached it is that there's so many deleted scenes and Denny's a big person on not doing director's cuts or any of that. He needs to make one for this, dude. He ta- <laughs> There was a, a thing with um, Brolin and Brolin's character being kind of like the older guy who helps train Paul. And there was a specific moment where he got called over by Denny at four o'clock in the morning or something like that. He's like, we need to come over. We need to rewrite this scene. And they had worked out all these different things. To build up this whole backstory of how bad the Harkonnens were to him, all these different things, just so he could say that brutal line. They ended up cutting out the entire speech, but the whole point was just so he can say that brutal line. And Zach, the five times that I saw it in IMAX, brutal it was. It was absolutely fantastic. I love what he got out of uh, all the performances that he wanted here. You can tell it's mm-hmm. Denny in his, in his uh, sandbox. We didn't get to talk too much of the score, bro. It's the score for I'm this Zimmer. movie. Is, has been one of the most divided things that I've seen. Yeah, uh, I'm surprised because there are people who are just obsessed with it, but I've heard a few people who are like, all right, uh, the the era of Hans Zimmer is over. And I don't know. I don't feel that way. I think it's really appropriate. And uh, it, it's kind of a bit of an unconventional score at times, you know, the ways that it it, it is maybe less melodic and more just atmospheric in terms of the the sound it's giving you. But it works for me. What did you think about the score? Uh, he had said that he had never seen the previous Dune. He had never seen the miniseries because he was just as big of a fan as Dune. Both these dudes grew up, Denny and Hans, reading this book, wanting to make this adaptation. 
the man called out Star Wars for using horns because he says horns wouldn't exist in space. So the dude created his own instruments for this score, <laughs> created a whole language with the guy who uh, did the languages for Game of Thrones uh, to make it. And then he himself apologized for how out there the score was. And he said nobody would have let him get away with it if it wasn't for Denny knowing how passionate he was for him being the first creative that he called on. And um, I like it. I don't hate it. I do think it's overbearing, though. I do see people's points with it. There are moments where this thing is just blaring through the speakers. But, uh, no, I really like what he was going for. Because, again, he had this whole concept of, like, you know, that bagpipes would be the only instrument that would make it into space all these uh, years into the future. But this whole idea of wanting to really have um, a voice carry the, the song. Uh, and, and the themes of the movie. Um, and I also love how even before the second one got greenlit, he was already talking about uh, him sending concepts to Denny because he's like, we're going to we're gonna get two, so why not <laughs> review my stuff already? So uh, I'm really excited to see what they're going to do for the second part considering yeah. uh, where the story goes with it, not just in the music, but also just like in the designs. Mm-hmm. We've yet to see a lot of characters. We've yet to see the Emperor himself. Um, I want to see more of Dave Bautista. I thought he was... I want to see even more of him. I, I thought they had some interesting elements with him yeah. because the story is PG-13, <laughs> where he's supposed to be the you know the brutal one. Mm-hmm. Um, but they get away with it by showing you these massacres that happen um, behind uh, the fire scenes and stuff. But no, overall, I thought it was great. And, and I have to mention, by the way, one, uh, our boy's beard, Oscar Isaac's beard. He's looking Heck, good. Looking great. Yeah. Um, but Lady Jessica, Rebecca Ferguson herself, surprisingly one of the, I would say kind of the lead in the movie the the movie ends kind of with a shot of her Mm -hmm. and uh, i think a lot of people were surprised to see the focus that was put on her i love her as an actress Mm -hmm. i thought she killed her performance in this i thought uh, she did a fantastic job at kind of seeing that viewpoint of um you know lena and i were talking about this that there's a a storyline with a doctor and the way that denny was able to shuffle shuffle it around she got a lot of those elements that would be in the doctor's storyline so um i'm just curious to see how the, how he's going to play it out in part two but so far for me like i said i've seen it several times and i still can't wait to properly see it yet so yeah yeah i mean look uh I, that's the thing I, you know my first experience of dune was kind of just a very surface level like visceral these these visuals are cool these (laughs) costumes are cool these sounds are overwhelming i'm just i'm just vibing with this movie and then when i was able to watch it a second time i I kind of could dive in a little more deeply into what it's trying to say in terms of its lore in terms of its story in terms of the world it's building and there actually is quite a lot there to chew on like people talk about it as just you know like very obviously part one of a movie and yes it is very obviously part one um but i still think there's there's so much interesting stuff happening that i was like engaged with on the story level and not let down i also i also kind of feel like maybe this whole like are they gonna make part two or not is a little bit of just trying to (laughs) <laughs> maybe get people to think of this movie as the underdog. Like it's the rare multi-million dollar block uh, blockbuster that like people are like, Oh no, we have to support it or else they won't make more. Bro, this thing sold out. I would have, I would have flown over to you to go see it at Lincoln Chat Cause they had it in that proper format. That stuff was sold out day yep. in and day out down to the last screening, dude. 
People were supporting this. People are really into it. And and I'm glad because, like, you know, Denny is a guy who really does build a full world and he feels like they're they're really paying attention to all these different details in in ways that uh, make you feel like you're actually actually entering a a different type of a different type of atmosphere, a a different Mm -hmm. world, a different time. Um, I'm I'm really into it. I'm very excited that we're going to get more. Uh, You know, I think. A lot of these big actors would not necessarily sign up for parts like this if they weren't at least somewhat sure that they would get a chance to return and do a little bit more. You know, Dave mm-hmm. Bautista talked talked recently about how he uh, he's excited to do this character as opposed to Drax, and it's like he's only in like two or three scenes so far. Um, but hey, he brought him back from Blade Runner too, so the fact that he's got a good working relationship with with someone you know at the caliber of Denny, fantastic. So yeah, absolutely. And there's going to be a miniseries as well. They said that they were working on an HBO series uh, called Daughters of Dune. So I'm personally one who doesn't think it's going to be a part two. I think this thing, I'm hoping it's a trilogy, bro. I'm hoping they go part one, yeah. two, and three. That'd be fantastic. I, saw I want somebody, the second one to be. I saw somebody who said that it wasn't really a question of whether or not they greenlit part two, but it's a question of whether or not they greenlit part three, um, which, you know, hopefully, hopefully. Hopefully. Are you going to be okay waiting? Uh, I think it's. October 2023, they said that we're going to get the next part. I will be, Zach, where I need to be at whatever location, the proper location I will be there. It gives me enough time to plan. I'll say that. <laughs> I'll be patient. Yeah. I could be patient. Uh, anything else you want to hit on Dune or should we move on to maybe the opposite of Dune? <laughs> it's very, very similar to a to a certain degree. Um, but let's talk about what is this? Number 26? In the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we, of course, are talking about Academy Award winner Chloe Zhao's Externals. Every single time I type it, it always autocorrects to Externals. I've typed Eternals into my laptop, into my phone so many times, it just will not take it. Siri don't even like this movie. (laughs) Zach, you are not the big Marvel fan. Um, I wouldn't say that. (laughs) Well, I guess in terms of uh, judging it as an MCU movie, yeah, sure. Do you think it lives up to the other ones? Um, well, you know, I think there's maybe a couple different perspectives you can take. Like, mm-hmm. I, I am, I have trouble putting myself in the f- shoes of an MCU fan because, like, I'm just, I don't really vibe with this universe. There are some movies that I think are very good because they have like distinct visions and, and a clear perspective. And then there's others that are just part of the series. Um, I find that generally speaking, these movies work best when they lean into the fact that they are entertainment, that they are, that they are roller coasters and they are, are meant to be broad appeal. Yeah. They're, they're, they are amusement park rides. Maybe they're even cruise ships. I don't know if you've seen the, the latest with the uh, <laughs> Avengers. Uh, but it, it, it's, I think when these movies try too hard to lean towards the self-seriousness, uh, th- they just kind of feel hokey. They kind of feel just to whatever interesting ideas they want to implement. There are things here that are certainly um, interesting ideas, but almost across mm-hmm. the board anything that is uh worthwhile of exploring is not explored in enough enough depth to justify its inclusion here um i think you know the obviously the the biggest 
<laughs> culprit of that is the much-discussed incident with Fastos and the uh, bombing of Hiroshima, which for some reason mm-hmm. is is part of this movie. Like, it, it's just so it, it's so mind-boggling to me that nobody at Disney uh, at some point was like, maybe we we shouldn't invoke this horrible tragedy in our light, fluffy summer entertainment. I I just did. I I think this movie is is flawed on like a fundamental level in how it's structured. I think the tone that it strikes is never quite right. And ultimately I just, I just didn't think it justified, you know, like the trip to the movie theater. It was, it was, you know, filler. It's just the bridge to the next installment. But what about you? I can see what you mean about the bridge to the next installment. It's almost like a restart really when you look at it, because at this point they have defined so much the whole point of the Eternals is that it, this is trying to get literally in the beginning. They're they're trying to define the beginning of this universe, not just uh, who was here before us, but literally who made us. That's where I think it gets crazy. There's so many thematic things that she's going for in this movie, but I think the worst part about it is the editing. This has to be the worst editing job I have seen in such a long time, and the the cards were stacked against it. We had individual movies for all of these superheroes before they became Avengers to the point that when DC did the opposite, everyone belittled it. They're like, what are you doing? Those were what? Four or five characters? Zach, they gave you a two and a half hour movie for 10 characters who spent, what is it, 7,000 years. And they thought that was going to be enough? The amount of deleted scenes that they have talked about in interviews is not just frustrating because it's like, why was that cut? But it's also like this, this literally would have helped the movie. Yeah, it, it would have bridged some of these characters better. Kumao's out there talking about it's like, you know, you should feel it on the screen, but really, you know, we bonded outside of it, and there are scenes where we did all that, but but we hope that you feel. No, show it to me because yeah. we did not feel that. Uh, but honestly, though, given the length of the movie already, like maybe this just needed to be the latest MCU series. Like if they're really trying to introduce you to what is it, eleven characters, and have you care about them, and have two different villains and like all these different motivations. And then like a, a whole big, like uh meta plot going on in terms of their role within the larger MCU universe. Like it, it's just so much to fit into one movie it is. and then ask you to care about all of it. That's the, I think that's the worst part that they did with it is that they, they, it has potential to be something, but there needs to be like a, a bigger cut. A lot of people were upset that uh, they were invoking, you know, because of, because of how religious this movie is. It, it is it has in the beginning there is a genesis to this. They are in Babylon, you know. There there's all these ins and outs to it. So of course people invoked who the original Superman, the the Man of Steel himself, only for her to come out and say that that was a big inspiration for her. So in the realm of talking about DC and those types of cuts, I feel like at this point what we have is another Ultimate Cut edition. We need to see what she was actually going for because there's only bits and pieces of it. There's only bits and pieces to the background of these characters. Each one clearly is supposed to define, um, be- because of the ones who are watching over the earth, a, a-, a version of-, of a little bit of everybody. You know, you have different, mm-hmm. um, not just denominations, you have different, you know, backgrounds for these characters. You have your first deaf MCU character. You have what is supposed to be. I, I feel like we've already had it in the past, but officially the first romantic gay couple the first one that gets like an on-screen kiss and is like not a background character in the star wars celebration or whatever like exactly and because like 
pretty sure they're not opening this one in China. They ain't got no worries to cut anything. I know the other countries still banned it. They were yeah. <laughs> they pretty much see, told those countries. See, oh, that's we never the thing. It's it like for you. We changed it for them. <laughs> you know, I want to give. I want to give. Uh, Chloe Zhao and Marvel credit that like, even though it's it's really really tame, it's still groundbreaking in their commitment to not cutting it when it goes internet. Oh, excuse me, I'm 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 hearing something about not cutting this movie when it goes to international distribution. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's really really bizarre that they would um <laughs> that that they would just like put all of this investment into like selling the story in the way they did trying to like um have you have you view um have you have you view this as this like groundbreaking thing and in so many ways it's just like halfway there you know what I mean? Like, there's, they did so much pre- uh, press about, oh, it's going to be the first sex scene in the MCU. It, it's groundbreaking. We just want to, we want to show what it looks like when two people care about each other. And it, like, it honestly looks like you, you taking a Ken and a Barbie doll and trying to make them hump. It's, it's like the, the most G-rated sex scene possible. Uh, shout out to Pink Sweets, by the way. The, the Eternals should have been an email. We all know that feeling. Um, Definitely could have been an email. <laughs> Again, there is a lot that's interesting in this movie in terms of the characters and what they were trying to approach. Uh, I do feel, like you said, there there are elements where, you know, there's the whole side of evolution. You know, one of them is kind of like friends with Charles Darwin because they've been around for so long. But then you also have the other concept, which is like they kind of just prove there's a god. They, they kind of explain a lot more than – is just a setting up for the next story. They set up like the entire purpose of humans on earth. They set up like, you know, a bunch of this galactic stuff that they're going to be filling up in the future. Um, I think it's, I don't want to say it's wearing thing because obviously it's Marvel and they're always going to be able to fix things. Um, and that's one of the biggest things. They know how to retcon like crazy. Mm-hmm. Like even uh, Gamma, who is the main character in this movie, I would say. She's the one who's leading the group. She was already in another Marvel movie. So you just, you know, bring them back. It's almost like they they cast an actor. If they play well, they're just like, all right, now you can get the lead role. Yeah, we upgraded um, you. To a degree, yeah. But I I don't know. I, I do want to see the director's cut, the ultimate cut, whatever you want to call it. Because I do think that there is a good a good dish movie in there. But I think that the way that they tried to stuff way too much, the masters doesn't equal up. Yeah. I, I, again, why did we have a WandaVision show? <laughs> and not to have this be the show. It doesn't make any sense to me, but um, I know one of the big things, Zach, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. This Zachary was shot on location. Mm, yes. Uh, Kevin Feige <laughs> now knows the beauty of a natural sunset. He's he's never he's never used his eyes until he's seen Chloe Zhao's filmography. Um, yeah. So what size the sunset though? Yeah, they just plastered CGI yeah. all over there. I mean, I, I think there are a few nice shots in there, and like those Marvel Stan accounts are gonna have four new screenshots to post their like, oh, I thought Marvel movies are supposed to be ugly uh, tweets. You gotta but stop then, fighting like, with them, Zach. Everything, everything that happens in between those uh, beautiful shots are like the most bland, boring, static medium shots. People standing in information for no apparent reason. Like it just, it, it's so... Well, Zach, it was part of the it's geometry. Phony. It's phony. The, the geometry. Don't you know, Zach? That's what they said. That they, they 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 did the geometry to make sure that they were where they were supposed to be. It's boring. It don't really make any sense. My event here for the IMAX is I did go see it in uh, 
in you know what it was supposed to be its whole one nine they'll have the whole scene in IMAX fighting these demon dementor whatever they're called and then right at the end the the kill shot will be wide you got black bars on top of the bottom. why wasn't the whole thing shot the way it was supposed to be you're talking about the formations there are plenty of scenes where one character will be in the back that all of a sudden they'll come up to the front I think it's very messy in terms of its editing, and I think that that's uh, probably one of the saddest parts because I know that they were editing this movie down to the wire. I think yeah. uh, one of the interviews, she said she was, it was down to the Saturday. She's working on Shabbat, trying to make sure that this thing was out just in time to be able to be released in theaters. Uh, so I, I just I think that uh, I think it would be beneficial to put a lot of the deleted scenes in there. And yeah. I know it's already two and a half hours, but we're talking about 10 characters, 7,000 years to cover. Um yeah, D- Devesh says, would you have wanted to see this on a TV screen, though? And I, I'm not so sure, because, like, at two and a half hours, it already felt overlong to me. Like, I don't know how much more time I want to spend in that world, to be honest. Uh, I, I just think that a lot of times Marvel uh, will try to to gesture towards heavier, bigger ideas in hopes that it will give it the weight of having importance, but they, but they just never really do enough to explore those ideas. And I I don't think like there's a director's cut that's going to suddenly make, uh, you know, Fastos's role in the evils of humanity make sense somehow, you know? Um, Uh, Yes, because I like to think that there's something more to the characters in a cut of this movie in a mm -hmm. different cut of this movie. The reason why it's in theaters is mainly because of the fact that, this is going to be the next building block for what the MCU is going to be. Right. They don't really, you know, the characters, that's all supposed to be on Chloe. Whether we like them, however, don't matter. The whole concept of what they bring up in the after credits, of what the Celestials are supposed to be, that's their building blocks for the next thing. So whether, you know, we remember this movie or not, it's supposed to be uh, the gateway to where they're going to go to now. It's pretty much just expanded everything from not us having to worry about the world <laughs> because there's there's stuff that's bigger. You know, it's not just about protecting the world. There are billions of galaxies out there now. So they've pretty much just put it open. And again, what's the next thing going to be? Multiverses. So this thing has expanded to a degree where they're not stopping anytime soon. So for that purpose, I see why I went to theaters. I still personally believe that for a movie that's so dependent on the characters, um, having a 10-episode series right. where you actually focus on each one and what they were supposed to represent for humanity would have been better. Uh, Devesh points out that there is that comment from a Marvel executive recently uh, talking about how they don't necessarily need uh, to do a sequel to internals. They, they didn't, uh, they don't, they're not lining that up quite yet, uh, which is different than how they normally talk about their franchises. They're often like, yeah, we're, we're in planning. We have ideas. Um, That was, Part of what I think has been the story emerging around Eternals, that there was a lot of trouble on its production, that it wasn't the smoothest sailing uh, in terms of uh, the process of making a Marvel film goes. Uh, There were uh, issues around Chloe Zhao's uh, insistence on having Final Cut on the film and Kevin Feige Mm -hmm. uh, actually traveled to set, which is not something that he tends to do unless there are... uh, you know, major issues that need sorting out. So I think maybe some of those comments are a little bit related to the, the behind the scenes uh, turmoil or, or or frustrations that occurred. But, you know, we found out recently that uh, after it's opening weekend box office was, was really, really strong. Uh, It opened uh, not as high as black widow domestically, but bigger uh, internationally. 
And ultimately, I kind of think that's what Marvel cares about more now, right? They're a global brand, and this is a very global-looking movie and a globally uh, conscious uh, franchise. You know, it hops all over the world. It's not just set in America like most of these movies are. So Mm -hmm. I I would have my doubts that they would suddenly abandon... um, you know this this franchise i just kind of think that you know they'll probably go in a different direction than letting chloe zhao uh run around outside as much as she yeah. wants they could bring someone else back it did eternal to a return so we'll see in what capacity yeah what do you think of the whole uh latest unfolding of the critics versus audiences that went uh, that centered around eternals and the fact that eternals is now the first MCU film to have a rotten score on Rotten Tomatoes. Zach, what do I think of Rotten Tomatoes? <laughs> Not much. It's a Fugazi. It's a Fugazi. It's, a, this is, or, it's owned by Universe and Warner Bros. I don't know. I feel like I have to mention that every single time just so people understand the perspective I'm coming from. Who cares? <laughs> it's it, That doesn't mean anything. If you like it, go watch it. The narrative I think that people have been building around it is very interesting because we just came off of Shang-Chi. We just came off of Black Widow. Uh, those have positive scores. So I know that, uh, I think it was Variety Vulture. I can't remember which one. They, they I guess they were down on clicks for the week, so they decided to to pin critics against each other. It was really weird because usually the narrative is the critics like the stuff that's really progressive, mm-hmm. and it's the audience that bombs it. But now the audience liked it, and now they were claiming the critics for the ones who were into Somehow it made the eternal storyline seem more <laughs> more concise than the narratives that people were trying to go out uh, with when it came to all the backlash or Eternals. I don't really, I don't know. I thought it was kind of goofy in terms of all that. I was more curious about the uh, after credit scenes. I don't want to get too into what the spoilers would be, but did you did you stay for both? Yeah, I stayed for both. Did you prefer one over the other? Um, I I can tell you that I hated the second one. Because uh, it felt out of nowhere to me, uh, it 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 was like to me that's the that in a nutshell is why I get so frustrated with these MCU movies is their uh, their insistence on shoehorning things that don't belong in one movie just as a way of interconnecting and and making you feel like you've never gotten some sort of finality, you know, like I, I I hate that stuff. I know people love that stuff. I hate that stuff. Um, the mid credit scene was fine. Um, I think it's funny that everybody is freaking out over one of the people. I'm freaking out over the voice that, that, that they have Stop, there, bro. who's First who's now one. doubling up in the MCU, I guess. Tripling up, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tripling up. First of all, one, I'm tired of seeing him. He was. Just, I just saw him in Curb. I'm, I'm done. I, I'm sorry. You got to sit it <laughs> he's, out. He's a little overexposed. <laughs> actually, sure. He's, he's got it. Yeah. Yeah. He needs to go take a break for a little bit, but. The CGI on that character was the worst I've seen. Terrible. That terrible. was a joke, bro. Did the no, CGI that, that in was... general, if we want to back up, really bad in this movie. Uh, That's what you I'm can, saying. Why you can say, in locations? Yeah, it, you can make the vistas as pretty as you want. The monsters look like something out of the 2007 CGI movie. You know, like it, it's gross. They look like they look like sketches from Ultron that they didn't use, and they're like, "What if we combine it with like a like an alien dog?" And you know who vo- you know who did the voice. Yeah, the, um, the one that they keep fighting. Shoot, tell me because I'm it's slipping my mind. Bill Skarsgård. Yeah, Wait, which again, himself. like, why did it have a voice all of a sudden? Like, hey, no, there's, I, I'm telling you, bro, some deleted scenes. We need that ultimate cut. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I stand with the deviants, man. I think, th- I think they were right. 
I think they had something going. They were also being used, but I don't know, man. I, I agree with you. I, I just thought though that that last one, you can, because you, you know you could argue with everyone about opinion on how it looks. Maybe you thought it was pretty. Nah, after I saw that thing come out in that after credit scene, that looked like a PS2 graphic that hadn't fully rendered. It looked like the yeah. before in a VFX reel. It was disgusting. It was gross. Yeah, I um, did like I did like who cameoed though. I'm a big fan. Yeah, same, same. Huge I'm uh, and and he fits it perfectly. There's one thing that she did very well in this in the in the movie is trying to have all the actors play a version of themselves. Mm-hmm. That last one was genius. Absolutely, it's perfect. I can't wait. Yeah, uh, Pink Sweets mentions that Druig was her her uh, that she loved Druig. I like Druig. I like Barry King. I, I shouts to Chloe Zhao for clearly casting off of Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Like, I would have no, done that too. It. She's on record. She's yeah, the yeah, reason yeah. why she cast both was because she got him from there. And he's easily the best actor, and he's easily the one who had the most emotion there. But he also said that there was a lot of his story arc that got cut. Well, yeah, because it, it feels completely it, – it, it's out of nowhere, and they don't even address the fact that it's, like, completely immoral what he's doing. But Right, thank you. They try to make it seem like he was his king. I was like, this is the complete opposite. But it was even more than that, the relationship yeah. that he had <laughs> – I care about humans so much that I won't give them free will. That's that sounds like a solution. Um, Devesh, let's end it here. Said, did you like it more or less than Shang Chi? I haven't seen Shang Chi yet, although I believe it, it's going to be available on Disney Plus on Friday. So I'll probably Yo, catch up with serious? that over the weekend. Yeah. Oh, damn. How about you? Uh, no, I like Shang Chi way more. I mean, Shang Chi again. It, it's, it does sort of what I was talking about. Like, it seems like it's leaning into the fact that these are entertainment vehicles, not like ponderous, self-serious ruminations on humanity. Yes. And that's why I think that because they wanted those elements for Eternals, that it should have been a series over this big old movie. Yeah. All right. Let us move on to a filmmaker that I think both of us are big fans of. Not only that, we, we are big fans of a movie he put out earlier this year. Um, but last night in Soho is the latest from Edgar Wright. His uh, circling back towards horror or horror adjacent movies. This is, this is pretty straightforward uh, horror uh, starring suspense. Suspense horror, yeah, I guess suspense. that's fair. Starring Thomas and Mackenzie, Anya Taylor Joy, Matt Smith, among others. Uh, this one stars a young girl who is into fashion, about a young girl who's into fashion design, who's mysteriously able to enter the 1960s, Ooh. where she encounters another girl with whom she develops a fascination before it turns deadly, I guess we can say. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, of course, there's a lot of really interesting visuals in this movie. It's an Edgar Wright film. He He is one of our masters in terms of uh, creating bravura visual sequences that uh, often involve camera trickery to just help them feel like they're authentic, right? A lot of people have pointed out the whole beginning dance sequence, like her first trip into the 1960s, uh, where they do a lot of switching between Thomas and Mackenzie and uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, a lot of like practical in-camera effects that are really cool and really uh, well executed. <laughs> there was a minute, like maybe half an hour into this film where I was like, okay, did Edgar Wright just do this so he could do every mirror trick in his book? Like he just wanted to to, to whip them all out. Um, as the film progressed, I found myself less and less into it, a uh, little less uh, taken with just the, uh, 
the visual style of it and a little more focused on the lack of substance at its center. It, it sort of felt to me like a film without a reason for existing. Like it doesn't, there, there's not kind of like a, a center to this story that hasn't been done other ways, much more appropriately and what much more complexly. Uh, and ultimately for a movie that's about the suspense, I thought, the the final twists one was completely obvious to me and the second involved the movie lying to you which i always hate so it just it ended really unsatisfyingly i don't want to say it was bad because it's obviously very well crafted but i yeah i i walked out of the theater feeling disappointed but what about you what do you think about last night in soho I thought it looked ugly, bro. I know what you're saying, and I'm not saying that he didn't do all the tricks I of the book. Hear that. There are there are visual effects he uses in this movie that were hideous. I did not get it. There were some elements, uh, some like CGI that he tried doing for some of the the bigger action scenes did not work for me. However, the sound design in this, I, I got to catch it in the last Dolby showing that they had. Um, beautiful bro yeah there's just a way that he's able to montage like you know there will be a scene where you know she's transported back in the 60s and you're hearing like a and then she comes back and it's the fan and i just Mm -hmm. i love the little things that he does that he that he does with that i think that that's where it really excelled visually i'm sorry it it wasn't terrible there are a lot of really great shots but there's also like poop shots bro there's just some garbage shots in this movie the story i agree with you it's a very interesting story at the beginning and you're wondering where it's going to go you're looking at these characters you're wondering who could be who, who's really on her side who who could be the misunderstood one but you know how much of it is also in her head and you really start thinking of the logistics of what's going on here as she's you know swapping between these two worlds um where i still feel it's a completely different vibe to the movie if you start confirming certain things about what is happening in her off time when they're i guess swapping between the timelines right i do agree with you that the ending is dumbfounding the ending not only doesn't really make a point, but it's not really a twist because our main character would have known. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, and, and even in then in the it's, twist that you see when you rewatch it, you would realize, well, now that I know this, then every time that I'm seeing something, I would know the background to said thing and they would react differently. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I felt that the message of it didn't really – you know, it's a pretty basic message. It's kind of like Eternal saying, like, should humans be given a chance to live? This one's like, you know, women maybe can be women scared are... of men. Yeah. <laughs> so there's also an element that I know people were complaining about in the third act. And I'm very curious to see, like, if it's a varying thing. But I feel that it has something to do with this VFX thing that I'm telling you about. Uh, a certain element that involves VFX in mm-hmm. which the VFX starts switching the position of certain characters and i found that to be the most out of nowhere thing and then swaps it right there i was like just kidding just kidding it's kind of like a movie telling you to sympathize with the villain and then at the last second just going like oh just kidding we're just gonna do that for 30 seconds to see how y'all y'all vibe with it all right moving on to the next thing um i don't know i i think it still has all the visual flares and everything that uh edgar wright is known for it's got his rhythmic style of directing but i don't think the message was that strong and i was really hoping for a i guess a better finale because i felt it contradicted itself yeah i i agree definitely um speaking of that finale you know i i don't i'm gonna allude to something without spoiling it but there is a moment where she's in her bedroom and they do this really cool i'm gonna assume a practical effect like the the kind of thing that 
you know, makes you really, that really stands out in a movie like this. Um, and it makes zero sense given the plot in that moment. Like it's in, it involves these things trying to stop her from doing the thing that they want her to do. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's clearly just there because Edgar Wright was like, this would look dope and it does look dope, but it makes no sense. And, And that ultimately is kind of the problem with this movie. And, and I'm, it's why I'm so conflicted on it. I gave it three stars walking out of it. And I'm just like looking at that on my letterbox account. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't think I, it's a three star movie. It's, it's there. There's yeah, something, I, I do. there's something soulless though. I, I don't, I don't think it's soulless. I think it's misguided. I think he thinks he's doing a lot. I think he thinks it's a little bit more profound than it is. Yeah. Um, and I know he got a, 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 the screenwriter also did 1917. And I remember that was a really big thing because the, these were like the first scripts came in to do. But to me, it feels a lot like a another movie we're going to be talking about in a little bit where I feel he's talking about certain subject matter. And so he got a female screenwriter. Right. And there is another movie in where it's broken into part. And maybe we can't write this. They gave it to a, another female screenwriter to write that element. And I think that it makes it more disjointed than you think it does. Uh, we'll talk about that other movie in a little bit, but it's, I think that it, Last Night in Soho is worth the three stars. I don't think it is a terrible movie. I just don't think it's as profound as it as it needs to be or that it thinks it is. Um, but I do think a lot of people were like overly hating on it. But I think that just happens because you're Edgar Wright. Like yeah. you have, you've elevated your movies to a level that people want to see something crazy, not just visually. Like they want to be invested in your characters and in your worlds. Um, but you had mentioned Spark Brothers that came out earlier, a much better movie that came mm-hmm. from him as a documentary. And that's on Netflix. So you don't even yeah. need to leave the house. Uh, to catch the best Edgar Wright movie of the year. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, actually just thinking about it, this might be my least favorite Edgar Wright movie now, which I, I guess is sad, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little, I kind of, I'm a little bit concerned about uh, him as a writer because the movie, the Cornetto trilogy is obviously great. Um, he has the benefit of co-writing those with Simon Pegg. Uh, I, I loved Scott Pilgrim versus the world, but that is, heavily influenced by the comics that it was comes from. And mm-hmm. I found both this and baby driver to be just a little bit lacking at the center. Like, obviously they're both very slick productions and I know a lot of people really like baby driver, but, but that's another movie that kind of just felt empty um, at, at the, at the center for me. So he just felt bad. He had spacey. So he's like, I need to make a movie to <laughs> contract these bad guys. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's uh, maybe hit Lamb really quick because I don't think we've done that on on the podcast yet. I did uh, end up catching it. Uh, A24 did another one of their uh, at-home things. They did. uh, Which was kind of cool. They they had like some footage of a lamb farm in upstate New York or something like that. I don't don't know why they even bother doing those things, but eh, I guess it adds a little to the experience. Um, This one is the latest A24 trailer bait-and-switch uh, for a, a <laughs> sort of horror or horror adjacent movie. It's kind of a folk tale about an uh, yes. Icelandic couple that mysteriously that discover a mysterious half lamb, half human child. Uh, you know, I, I guess it is sort of like maybe like a 15, 30 minute spoiler of the movie, but it's in the trailers and it's in the plot description side. It is, yeah. Uh, I don't really want to. Uh, mess around like like half like hem and haw around it uh if i may i saw this in theaters yeah and half of my theater did not know that (laughs) so i guess it is like a like a good surprise i've never seen people get up 
and leave to the front. I had never seen that in my life. Usually they get up, they dip in an A24 movie like this. They got closer to the screen. I had a blast in my theater, man, but let's talk about this one. So, yeah, so maybe, maybe that is part of what I'm missing, that I didn't have the communal experience of seeing people react in shock and surprise and awe and, and humor. Because, uh, yeah, it, it's sort of like a very uh, low-key farm movie about their daily lives and uh, just just in, dealing with this a bizarre situation and and coming to terms with it but mm-hmm. but also not really it kind of just kind of just is um my my review on letterboxd was that like sometimes a movie asks a question and then the answer to that question is i don't know man <laughs> that sort of was my experience with lamb like it it, it kind of just it was until it wasn't anymore uh i didn't really jive with it but sounds like you had a better time I thought it was right. I thought it was pretty decent. Um, it's a better Eternals. See, Zach, <laughs> there is a lot of biblical references in this. Uh, obviously, not just Lamb. You have a duel of parents who come with child, you know. You have the uh, – there's a lot of really when you look at it, it the, the kid's name ends up being um, kind of like a play on Adam and Eve. Hmm. Uh, see if I, I can't even remember what they call her. Ava or Ada. Hmm. Um you also have there's there's several moments that play off of a lot of uh, Old Testament things like, uh, you know, taking your sacrificial lamb out to the slaughter because that's what you're supposed to do only for it to maybe magically be saved. A lot of different biblical things that happened throughout that I was like, all right, I'm not saying that they say anything, <laughs> but, but you could tell that they're alluding to them. Mm-hmm. And then the movie just I agree with you. It just kind of ends. It doesn't really give you an answer. It is one of those where it just goes, isn't it kind of cool to like see this? And then doesn't really expand on it in any other way. Um, I do like Numi Rappas. I, I think yeah. she's a fantastic actress. I thought she does a great job in the movie. Um, it, she, she's good. The performances are good. I don't think it was like a particularly great looking film. Like it's kind of a very crude, crudely CGI'd lamb head onto a human body you know at no point am i like i liked it at no point did i was i like how did they do this it seemed very obvious how they did it the whole time (laughs) i didn't think it was that bad would i recommend it to people no i cannot recommend it to people but uh i do think that if you wanted to just see a super weird movie maybe this ends up on hulu or i don't know who's got to deal with a24 right now and i don't know you're blasted out drunk give this a watch I'm pretty sure it'll catch you off guard. Maybe you'll snooze, but uh, I, I did kind of like the tone that they were going for it. Was it I don't Christmas think it in the anything, movie? Though. Did I miss that? Uh, yeah, I think it's taking place during during the winter. So uh, I actually do want to rewatch it. I want to do a little bit of an LME on this one, but uh, that'll be for the future. But yeah, can't recommend this one. <laughs> I know a lot of people, if they would have gone to the theater, risking it all in the pandemic for Lamb, probably right. not the thing to go, especially when two weeks later or three weeks later it was out on VOD. So, <laughs> uh, but the best did ask. He said between Pig and Lamb, who beats who? Oh, we're I personally, I don't know if you've caught Pig yet, Zach, but Pig will be coming out to Hulu. Which yeah, is the reason I yeah, I'll, I'll that. catch up with it then. That's the one right there, Zach. Uh, but I think you have Cow above both of them. We'll maybe get into that a little bit later. I have Gunda. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get into another one that I actually haven't had a chance to watch yet, uh, but it's available on Netflix now. It is The Harder They Fall, the uh, new 
revisionist spaghetti western, I guess you want to call it, uh, with a pretty awesome cast. Jonathan Majors, Idris Elba, Regina Stack. King, Zazie Beetz, Delroy Lindo, Lakeith Stanfield. goes on and on and on, really. Uh, Art, tell me a little about this one. Uh, this is supposed to be a bunch of characters, a bunch of actual historical people. As the movie tells you early on, these people were real. The story is not. It is this big kind of sprawling uh, Western, which I'm a big fan of, that is just with these rich, beautiful colors, just a bunch of spaghetti shootouts that are going on. It's two hours and something long. The uh, Because Jay-Z is the producer on this, they have a stacked soundtrack for this. There are some songs where the beat goes with the shooting. So it's like, pshoom, 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 pshoom. It's a right. little goofy sometimes. But I don't know, when you're watching the movie, you're kind of feeling it. The movie does a lot, Zach. Um, it is very over the top. Yeah. It is a big adventure film. It's not a perfect movie in any way, shape, or form. It, it There are moments where they go to a town, right? And it's supposed to be a white town. They go way overboard. They don't. It's not just a white town. They sucked all the color out of that town. All the signs are just like, it's like in Sepia or something. I had a great time with it, though. I absolutely had a blast. This is a movie that I ended up catching at home. I had a screening that I missed because I was hoping to go to bit more. I wish I went to that screening. Yeah. I wanted to I wanted to see this in a super loud theater. It's also just a lot of beautiful Vista scenes. Obviously, it's a Western. That would have been great to see in, in, in a big theater. Um I'm not, again, I'm not saying that it's perfect, but when you're following these two gangs, pretty much what it's come up with is that you have the Netlove gang, and this is a dude who's trying to get revenge because of what you see at the beginning. Someone came, you know, hurt his family. He's got his gang that he's trying to set up to go up against Idris Elba's gang. Idris Elba's gang is busy trying to free Idris Elba, and it's how these two come clashing with each other. And uh, I, I love the different dynamics that the characters have. Uh, Nat's group has somebody, uh, I believe it's our boy who uh, played Earl. He thinks he's the fastest. Slinger mm. in the West. But then the other side's got uh, Lakeith. Now he's the fastest Slinger in the West. So you just have these little dynamics between the yeah. characters that I really loved uh, seeing that they're hyping up for when you get there. Um, I think her name was Kasi. Uh, she was one of my favorite characters in there as well. Kind of just like the loyal uh, partner who's, who's there with the gang. Uh, again, it, it's one of those where if you're a fan of Westerns in any way, shape, or form, uh, I think you'll kind of dig what they're doing with it. It is meant to be over the top, meant to be like in your face, but I don't know. I had a blast with it. And that's the point. Yeah. So no, it, it definitely, I would recommend it. it definitely seems like a movie that is like leaning into that, like entertainment aspect, right? It's not necessarily trying to, mm -hmm. to be some yeah. uh, perfect historical recreation where everything no. is, is exactly how it was. It's giving you movie stars and guns in, in a, cool location uh and if it satis satisfies on that level like it sounds like a good time to me no so I, I would definitely say that i know pink sweets had just asked if the jc song is a contender um i would want to say personally no i don't think it's like the top <laughs> song of the year uh in terms of what would be an oscar uh, nomination but it does have the backing to it and i feel like that netflix will run a pretty good uh, course with it because again it did play for two weeks in theaters uh i don't think it played at amc's because they're still doing that thing against netflix but it was able to get some theaters around the area and i think that they'll be able to have a good push with it cuddy's also in one of the main songs so i am not against seeing kid cuddy what a great documentary i didn't even have this on our list yeah watch the kid cuddy doc on amazon prime holy smokes fantastic um but i think he may have the push to be able to get a nomination i don't think it's the best but the whole soundtrack's out i, I had a good time listening to the soundtrack um 
I, I don't think it probably would get a push for anything else. But I just love seeing the characters in this. I love how into it the the actors get in you know the the close-ups because they do these goofy close-ups too. It's just like it's just the cliche things that you see in westerns where it's like the camera will zoom in and they'll do stuff like that. Uh, I know that some people were saying that it was like a, a Tarantino ripoff, and I just like it hurts to hear people not realize who Tarantino gets it from. <laughs> yeah, it's just really goofy in that sense. But I really like the director. Like, he he was just so passionate for this movie. Um, and, and I think it shows. I thought it was super entertaining. And Ricky, yeah, the Bulls are hot this season. Maybe not the Bears so far. Go watch them. Because <laughs> I'm fully aware that they're on right now, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it helps to have the DVR in those locations. Connor, right? really, Connor's really hyped to check out uh, Harder They Fall. I am too. I am too. Yeah, um, dude. Majors? It's, I mean, it's Majors, bro. Majors does not give a bad performance. Yeah. Uh, Devesh asked, what was the last truly great Western? He says he likes Scarfield's Magnificent Seven, but surely there's a better one. I mean, the thing that's coming to mind to me, which is maybe not the most like traditional gunslingy Western, is uh, the assassination of the of uh, Jesse James by the coward oh, Robert stop, Ford. Bro. Thank you. Andrew I love Dominic, you. Yeah, we should do a podcast together. We should do a podcast together. It, we that, should do a podcast. That one's really great. Uh, very contemplative and very, uh, you know, brooding. But yeah, I mean, I think it applies. It, it has got a lot of the great Western traditions and just is gorgeous. Like one of the most beautiful looking movies I've ever seen. Easily. Uh, I would toss in the remake to Three Ton to Yuma. I thought was yeah. uh, done pretty well. I also uh, was thinking that one that had Christian Bale in it. Yeah, uh, there's the other one too. Bone Tomahawk was uh, pretty grisly. Oh, one I never saw out. that one. People really like that. Yeah, it's pretty decent. Yeah, um, and then uh, I know some people consider Logan a western, so I guess there's that if you want to call <laughs> it. Uh, there's probably several other ones. So, but yeah, I'd say Three Ten to Yuma was probably my last one that I absolutely fell in love with in the theaters. I was a big Western fan, so. Oh, you uh, know uh, any other? We didn't have? mention Hateful Eight. I guess Hateful Eight should be thrown in there, even though it's like the, it, you know, I think the the, no, no. the coldness of it makes it feel. Django. It's sort of it's Django. sort of. Oh, Django, yeah, Django works too. Not Hateful Eight. I, I put Django over. Connor Hateful. throws in Buster Scruggs. Yeah, Buster Scruggs is great. I love Buster, Buster Scruggs. Scruggs. Yeah, yeah. I, I like how we've widened. Uh, like e- even the ones like Slow West, and then there was even that one oh, something Darling West. I just, yeah. I, I don't know if that's a great western, but I I love Ben Mendelsohn's coat. I want exactly. That coat. So a bunch of ones. Bruce Wayne mentioned Old Henry. I haven't gotten around to that one, but a lot of people really liked. Um, What's that dude's name? Uh, Tim Blake Nelson, who has the lead performance mm-hmm. in that one. Buster. Sorry? Oh, yeah, Buster. Buster, Buster Scruggs himself. Uh, Magnitude asks, does the American Frontier trilogy count? Hell or High Water, Sicario, Wind River, those... Uh, what's uh, our, what's that? Uh, our boy. What's his name? Uh, right. Sheridan? Taylor Sheller? Sheridan? Taylor Sheridan. Yeah. Uh, Hell or High Water, for sure. I'd count Hell or High Water. Yeah, I'd count Hell or High Water. We actually just got the screeners to his new show coming up on Paramount Plus. We'll have to talk about that soon on Intercom. The mayor one is his? Yeah, that's him, dude. Mayor of Kingstown. I've heard good things Jeremy about Renner, Yellowstone, Kyle too. Chandler. So I got I to gotta hop on that one. I've heard that that's a dope uh, show that he, that he went all out in, so we'll see. Yeah. I've been iffy on his, on his recent movies, so we'll see how the scripts to the shows are. For sure. Uh, I will touch on Spencer really briefly because i Catching don't it tomorrow hype me up please okay. zach what'd you give it i uh, i want to see a four i'm only at the three and a half but i could be persuaded i could 
um, changed my mind on this one because it is really, really interesting, really, really beautifully done. Uh, Pablo Lorraine giving us another uh, biopic of a, a woman in the spotlight. Um, I, and, and another movie that's just gorgeous to look at, you know, the, from the cinematography to the production design behind the, uh, costuming and also these locations that are just so picture perfect in terms of recreating the feel of the, of, you know, for, for Jackie Kennedy, you know, um, like the presidency. And then for, uh, here giving you that royalty, that, that, uh, grandeur, that, that upstairs, downstairs, that uh, is so fun about uh, shows that get or shows and movies that give you that dynamic. Um, you know, of course the big sell here is that this is Kristen Stewart and Kristen Stewart in a role that many people are hyping up to uh, potentially be her first Oscar nomination. And uh, oh. I, I am going to join in with the chorus and, and say okay. that like, this is very likely going to be uh, an Oscar nomination for her and, and a deserved one. Cause she is very, very good in this movie. I, you know, I, I she's an actress that I really love. Uh, I've always been on uh, team Kristen, despite all the, the twilight uh, haters out there. Um, and I think that she's an actress who often is able to put a bit of herself into the roles in ways that I like, right? You know, like Denzel is another guy who's just like, you, you know, it's Denzel, but he's able to find um, aspects to it. And Kristen's like that too, in that like her persona sometimes influences her characters. Here, I really felt her kind of disappear into the role, even though there are maybe wow. some, some parallels to her like. life. She, this is like her playing a whole different person. This is her playing like, like an adult woman. I don't know if I've ever saw, saw her as like, a, like an adult before since she's uh-huh. kind of close to me in age. But yeah, she, she's, she's, she's really dynamic, really interesting, just like very tortured. And you, you feel that constant... Uh, contemplation in her head that like unease and that nerviness that she's able to portray so well. Uh, I, I think it's an excellent, excellent performance. Uh, there's lots of things about this movie that should be in contention for Oscar nominations. Shouts out to the Gr- Johnny Greenwood score. I'm always down for a good Johnny Greenwood score. Um, I don't think that ultimately the movie that surrounds these elements is that great. Like there's interesting parts to it, but the script is so uh, message forward. It's so stating subtext as text. Uh, It's not enough for them to say the theme once they're going to bring a ghost around to say the theme a second time. Like it's just a little bit too obvious in what it's trying to tell that it, it, it just kind of is a bit of a bummer. Like it, it, it's putting too fine of a note on it and not giving you the feeling, not letting you just experience it. So I'd, I'd like something that maybe uh, had a softer touch than Lorraine does, but it, did, it didn't keep me from appreciating uh, so many aspects of Spencer. Two for you. One, do you think uh, she's got a better chance over uh, Tammy Faye? Um, better chance? Or not better chance, but who do you prefer between the two performances, her and Chastain's? I mean, that's that's tough. Like the Chastain performance is really good, but it's also like a style of acting that I maybe uh, I respond to a little bit less because it's very loud, it's very broad, um, and this is a very internal performance. Um, 
although you know not it's not i don't want to call it a quiet performance but i think maybe stylistically i i jive a little bit more with uh what stewart's doing than what chastain was doing uh you you asked you first started by saying who has the better chance and like that's tough too because chastain has been uh, a darling for a while but i think people really want Kristen stewart to win an oscar mm-hmm. you know so second one you kind of touched on a little bit i keep hearing there's a horror film Yes. So I think this has kind of got that, like, the nest quality of the house as um, a haunted house, but for for your interactions and your memories kind of vibe to it. Like, it's, it, 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 it feel, if it, if it turned into a straight out horror movie at some point, it wouldn't feel too out of place because she's just surrounded by this discomfort and the, all these elements that are kind of working against here. Like maybe, maybe mother is kind of the, the better comparison to make. Although obviously like, you know, mother is an assaultive movie and I wouldn't ever, ever qualify. This is like something that's very assaultive. Um, but it ha- both of those movies get to this idea of like having things invade your space and not being able to kind of like be at home at home, right? Um, okay. So I, I, I liked I liked a lot about it, but it was just maybe a little bit too obvious in certain parts for me. I, I do want to give it a second chance though and see maybe if I pick up on some different things. Uh, if if it bothers me less on a rewatch that they're stating their their moral out loud. Um, it's very good though, not and not just uh, Kristen Stewart. There's a bunch of very good performances in this. Uh, Timothy Spall, uh, or what is that his name? Yeah, Timothy mm-hmm. Spall shows so. up and is really great. Uh, Sean Harris, uh, I think, has a really great small role in this that I liked. Sally Hawkins is is just so warm in a movie that lacks warmth so much. So uh, I, I'm very curious to see your thoughts. I think you're going to dig this one. Let's be. Uh, I got that right after Clifford, Zach. So. <laughs> Stacked day at the cinema. For sure. All right. So uh, I do want to get to some of the movies that you saw at the Chicago International Film Festival, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, you, you got to see a whole bunch of stuff. So where do you want to start out here? Do you want to start with uh, your the top of your list or you want to go bottom up? Well, let's go bottom up. I'll do, I'll do a quick little run through through them. Um, Mayor Pete. Probably the only one that I thought was not very good, and that mainly comes down to the fact that this is a, the new documentary from a duo who we really loved. Yeah. Uh, they had previously done Boy State, and here they came in to do this Pete Budetej. Budetej. Uh, they couldn't even say it in the in. Yeah, they have a whole thing about that in the um, in the movie. I don't know. I I feel that this is not just a by the numbers biopic that feels more like a campaign movie. For the man, you mm-hmm. know, even if there's no campaign, it's kind of still helping him in terms of like, look at the sympathy I can get. Um, <laughs> but it's one where he gets into a discussion with a dude who pretty much says, you're using your identity when you need it. Um, to which he says, he's like, no, I, I don't believe I should be judged because I'm white. And then the guy calls him out and he goes, he's like, but when your identity, which is uh, uh, being gay, helps you, then you do use that. And the movie just cuts to the next scene. They don't even <laughs> let him argue it. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Mayor Pete, I believe, is going to come out on Prime. If you're curious, check that out. But uh, go to Apple instead and watch Boy State yeah. because that's a much better version of this movie. Yeah, it was kind of a uh, – I, I, I was just sort of uh, – Did you catch it? No, no, I didn't catch it. But I was just sort of like 
a little upset when I saw that our, our Jesse Moss was making this his next project. It got, I don't know. Had, yeah, had a bad feeling. I don't know. It was rough. Um, the other one would be Antlers. This was a movie that uh, I was able to get an early screening there uh, within the fest as well. It played at the fest. Um, it is the new one by the dude who did Out of the Furnace and Black Mass, Scott Cooper. He had never done a horror movie before. Yeah. And then Theo Guillermo came in and he said, I like your movies. <laughs> Make a horror film, and he did. This is a beautifully shot film. I was talking about the cameras earlier that they're creating to really make them super big. Uh, He shot this one on a Sony Venice, and there are some just striking shots in this. There is a beautiful shot of the the monster when it comes out. I know that they did some puppeteering with it. I think it delivers when it comes to the monster. There is this beautiful shot in the woods when a car, when the police car is driving away. It looked absolutely gorgeous. This movie, I know for many people, they've been waiting on this since before the pandemic. I was ready to see this at an arc light. Arc lights don't exist next to me anymore. Zach. <laughs> I wanted to see that there. If you're going to cast this one, make sure you see it on a beautiful screen, one that isn't going to be washed out, that it, that has a really good contrast to it. That said, it is a very slow movie, and I'm fine with it being slow. Uh, This is one where the monster is a metaphor. Obviously, it represents a lot more, and it gets into a lot of indigenous culture. Yet, they don't have that many indigenous people in it. Mm. They have one guy who comes in to say something. Shout out, Graham. He does his thing, and then he kind of just dips out. And it's really Carrie Russell kind of looking at it from her perspective um, and and like the, the problems that have happened in this town. But it, it, it says so much for you. There is like there is literally a news station that goes, and this is all the problems that are happening with drugs. And other news, <laughs> white supremacy. And then it just like cuts to the next day. It's, it's literally telling you what the, the meaning of the movie is. And I don't know. I found that to be a little uh, overbearing. But um, nonetheless, I think he's a really good director. And I think that his approach to this was supposed to be one of a man who doesn't know the genre. But a man who doesn't know the genre doesn't know the tropes that he's also falling to and not realizing that a lot of – monsters actually metaphor type movies have already been out there and they've done a little bit better but uh, it does look beautiful and jesse plemons there is one line that jesse jesse plemons just knows how to do his thing man <laughs> he says something because he's uh siblings with um carrie russell and he just says something and the t- the look in his eyes man you you feel it you know that there's some history there um so he always kills every performance that he's in but if you're interested in this one again just catching a really good theater just know it's a little bit slower mm. cow would be the other one that i got the chance to catch uh it is andrea arnold's gunda is how i put it if you've seen gunda which we highly recommend it is on hulu a very slow yes pretentious movie but one that just has a killer ending even though it doesn't show you any music it's all shot in black and white mm-hmm. This one is in color. Zach, this one has a soundtrack. There are certain points where you think it's just Billie Eilish playing in the background, which is one still very distracting because you're following this farm and this cow and what they do with this entire cattle. And it's disgusting, again, just like the pig and gunda. Mm-hmm. But then the music is actually like superimposed. And I don't know. It went into some weird elements. I, I don't think it's as strong and as emotional as Gunda and the outlook that that had. Um, but nonetheless, not a bad documentary that kind of shows you all the entire process of what they do to a cow when it's at this farm and how brutal it gets. So uh, if you're interested in this one, cow, I am not, I'm not sure who picked it up, but it could be on Neon soon. You could do a double one with uh, Gunda. Shouts to HBG. Release the Andrea Arnold cut. We're, I, I feel like we're talking big little lies here, but, but just release every Andrea That's Arnold right. cut. 
the next one was actually the Gold Hugo winner for the doc competition. It was called Skal. This is about a 21-year-old poet who uh, is in Christianity. Her whole family's in Christianity, and she's trying to, like, handle living this double life, um, mainly because anything that she does with her boyfriend is considered bad. Anything that Any way that she tries to express herself is considered bad. It is not the right way that she's supposed to be. Um, and they do this really cool thing, not only because it's uh, the vistas that they show you look fantastic, but it's her and her boyfriend who are always writing like their poetry, their, their whatever it is, the lyrics in this car. Um, I really enjoyed this movie, and I would say it would go very well, this being a documentary, it would go very well with a narrative feature that played in t- at tiff called disco that one is a very similar story but she's a dancer there mm. kind of struggling to use her art or the thing that she's really good at within uh, a group of people who she doesn't want to leave i think that's the beauty of the movie she doesn't want to leave the faith that she's in the family who's there with her it's just that they won't accept her for who she is and the movie being a, a documentary um builds up to the poem that is called skull and zach that poem was incredible killed it so uh shout out to that movie it picked up the award i would say rightfully so one of the better docs that i caught there another one that played was beta test <laughs> the boy they were, they were telling us the other day that this was digital at uh what do we say all the other festivals it was not digital at any of the festivals. tribeca yeah this has not been digital now it's digital. Zach got the boy a link though <laughs> <laughs> they, they gave up on that not digital thing a little bit Oh, yeah, they give them quick. Um, look, I, I respect the hell out of Jim Cummings, the way that he's gone, his whole indie route, everything that he's done. Uh, to me, he does a really good job at like playing the main guy who's building up to this one moment, this sequence where he's going to give you his all. He's just going to lash out, give this whole speech. And I think he killed that in Thunder Road. I don't know if he'll ever surpass that. Um, I don't remember there being a big one in the Wolf Hollow one. He's got one here. And you're just like feel it approaching overall this movie is about this hollywood agent who gets like this letter to like do this like sex offer at a um a hotel and i i like the intrigue that he's got going on there um it's also very much commenting on a lot of the stuff that's happened in hollywood sometimes really in your face sometimes pretty funny in in a a very slick way because i believe the person who also co-stars with him uh co-wrote it with him uh, I think maybe even co-directed. I don't know if you could check that. Yeah, uh, uh, I think he does have the co-director on there if we're going to crew. Yeah. PJ this, McCabe. Honestly, this feels more independent than his other films. I don't even know how that's possible. It just it feels like someone who wanted the vibes of like a Wolf of Wall Street <laughs> and then just did it in the most you know shoestring budget that they could. And I really respect the hell out of that. There are moments, though, where I wish if it was like, I don't know, shot just a little bit better, color graded just a bit better. If the sound sounded a little bit more crisp, these moments can be so much more. And I, I'm nothing against the guy acting because, again, I think he killed it in Thunder Road. But there's this like diminishing returns thing where I just know he's about to do that big sequence where he's going to give his speech. And I, I would love to see him direct a lead instead. Mm. So um, very yeah, much enjoyed I mean- the it, a lot of people have been liking it. No, I mean it's a it's a good point you make, and and maybe Jim Cummings is at the point where he has to show us a different like weapon in his arsenal if he and if he wants to be the star of these yourself. movies. Yeah, that too. Um, but I, I would be very curious to see him because I, I like the approach to the story. I like all the 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 visuals that they go for in telling it. Um, but yeah, I think it would be really cool to see the man um, direct somebody else. Totally. Uh, nobody has to know. Speaking of acting, 
won both of the awards, the male and female performance. Uh, Bully Lanners is actually uh, not just the star, but also the director and the writer. He was talking about making a movie and where he really wanted to get, at this point in his life, at this age, a movie that's really getting into the subject matter that he feels to be most important. Um, and here he plays a dude who ends up having a stroke, loses his memory, and his caretaker, who's played by uh, Michelle Fairley, who many of you may know from Game of Thrones, uh, Miss Stark herself, she takes care of him. And once his memory goes away, because she's been so lonely, goes, hey, you and I, we were kind of a thing. And then this whole like story between them sprawls because he doesn't know any better and she's trying to take advantage of it to a degree. And uh, I, I thought it was a pretty interesting little story, um, not just about them, but kind of like their surroundings. I know that that played a really big factor in it in terms of uh, how she has not just her family, but like the church, the way that the, the village lives and how, why he was always – He's always been the outcast who was living by himself. Um, but I do think the performances were pretty solid. Not my favorites of the fest, uh, but nonetheless, shout out to them for getting that. Uh, and I thought it was a decent little drama. Cool. Any Given Day is the winner from the Chicago Award doc. It talks about um, the mental health crisis that we have here in Chicago. And honestly, it could be applied to anything. And... Uh, I had heard that people came out of this documentary crying, like just just sobbing, just something that they had never seen before. Um, I have family members who are bipolar, so I know what an episode is like. I know when someone's in a manic state. This movie, I think, is crucial for many people who have never seen that. I think – I mean you and I, we see a dozens of movies where they have this element in there mm-hmm. where it's the multiple personalities or what would – that that is a twist in the movie. Yeah. That is the the negative connotation. Oh, they're the, evil. They're this. The vil- explains the villain's villainy or whatever. Exactly. Um, and this is a movie where it shows you that no, these are people, and the you know because you build a relationship with them, you end up the director ends up capturing them in these states, where, again, as every documentary can be assessed, <laughs> do you capture it? Do you see them get to the point that they're at? Do you realize that it's beneficial for people to see these people at that state? Not to just see them when they're writing their book, when they're trying to get custody of their daughter, but to see them when they're at that point um, where they're keeping them from being able to accomplish these things because of the way that they get. Uh, And I think a lot of people need to see stuff like that. And I think that this really – it doesn't belittle them. It doesn't judge them. It kind of just shows you the resources that they may or may not have to help them out. Um, And I think for that, I think it deserved the award. Nice. Petite Maman. I want you to talk about this one with me because how is this only an hour 12, bro? (laughs) Right? Like, Like I I was upset it was too short, but then it's like, is that a good thing that I want more of it? It's perfect. It's like, what a beautiful fall movie. Just the right amount of movie. Uh, for this story too, because it is kind of a small story. It's not not a thing where uh, there's a whole lot of action or a whole lot of characters. Even I think there's like four or five characters in this whole thing, um, and it just it's just telling this very sweet um, story involving these kids and and the this relationship they developed that has some interesting. Uh, extenuating circumstances around it, if that's how yeah. you want to put it, but. Um, you know, that, that's the thing is like, I think the movie begins as this one small thing, this one really uh, breezy idea. And then it actually ends in a, in a very beautiful moving place. Um, and I loved that in such a, such a seemingly delicate, tiny package, Celine Siama is really able to just 
tug at your heartstrings in this way. And I, I, th- I thought this was such a touching movie. I was so impressed by it. I agree. And uh, the production design was also fantastic in this. It reminded me a lot of how the father was able to switch out things uh, within the loft. The same thing kind of happens here with the way that they tell the story and where you're entering these rooms and they kind of have like a different look to it mm-hmm. um, that I really appreciate. I thought it was a beautiful looking movie. And again, I was just surprised how short it was. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, fantastic little entry. Um, the next one that I caught was the Sony Classics documentary about Julia Child's called julia uh i'm sure that this one's gonna get a really big push because sony classic pictures always does uh a really good run with it and it's yeah. got the directors uh who did the um the paul e murray doc that we saw at sundance and the rbg doc i think it's oh it rbg yeah it's interesting because right, i when i first heard about julia i assumed that uh it was going to get that like standard oscar push because they end they always end up putting like a biopic mm-hmm. or two in the documentary and maybe not always but sometimes they do um but i know amazon is actually campaigning Polly murray for best documentary so you know maybe they have the potential like to have Polly two murray movies too. in the run right that'd be dope but yeah that's technically two movies that they will be releasing this year Polly murray like zach said is on prime this one uh is definitely going to get that like you know theatrical and then you got to wait for it to get the vod uh but i think it's worth it it's uh just looking back at her entire life not just as um her own personal uh view on food which i just love you know that's the reason why she became so big was her perspective of adding flavor to your life having all these books that she did in in terms of being able to use your everyday items that you had to be able to make a meal that wasn't your you know what was the craze back then which was just tv dinners galore Mm -hmm. um then there's the business side of it that was so intriguing to see how she approached the way that she did the show, how she chose her guests, the way that she chose specific items that would peel everything off because she wasn't doing a brand deal with anybody. Um, I don't know. There was just a, lo- a lot to uh, enjoy in the doc in terms of how she got to where she was, but also the fact that like she herself is the selling point. You know, right. we were talking about that Bob Ross doc and how you know he got screwed over because of you know what he was trying to build. Um, not realizing that it's him who was the selling point. Not his paintbrushes. It was him. Yeah. For Julia, it was the exact same thing. It was her. It's very rare when you see somebody look at their SNL sketch of themselves <laughs> and laugh. And that's the type of person you know that they that they uh, display her to be. And no, I thought it was a really good doc. Uh, I would highly recommend it. Awesome. Uh, you hated this one. The French <laughs> Dispatch is <laughs> the new one. From you know what I actually had a whole Timmy day. I went to go see. It was one of the days that I was watching uh, Timmy and IMAX for Dune, and then I went and I saw him in the French Dispatch as well. Uh, I had no idea that the new Wes Anderson was like an, uh, if you can call it an anthology. It's very segmented because it's supposed to be part of this. Uh, what is it? The final issue of the French Dispatch. Yeah, it definitely has an anthological structure. Although I don't know if you can call it an out and out anthology, given the it's the not. way that it is connected. But I wasn't prepped for that, bro. Yeah. <laughs> especially because – and maybe it will change when I see it again. It's so abrupt. You have one of the ones, especially the one that's cutting between um, Leia Sadu's character with the painting. Benicio Del Toro, yeah. And Benicio Del Toro. Um, and then it cuts to Tilda Swinton. I liked both of them because this is all part of one. Tilda Swinton is kind of telling you the backstory of this artist. Mm-hmm. And then you're seeing the backstory of the artist. Yeah. But it will pause between the two. And I liked both. I did not like stopping one 
to go talk to the other. It's a little bit like um, those moments in Grand Budapest Hotel, because Budapest is another one where it's a story within a story within a story. And this like Russian Russian nesting doll thing that he does, it, it's really cool. Like I, I, I am impressed that he pulls it off, but I, I do feel like it gives the story like this sort of jerky momentum where you're like, all right, we're going. Okay, hold on. All right, yeah. we're going again. Okay, yes. hold on a second. And yeah, I for me, that's one of the things that helped, uh, that, that prevented me from really falling in the rhythm of French Dispatch. That's the only problem I had with the movie. You, otherwise, you really liked get. it? No, people saying that there's no heart in this. I definitely think. Sometimes I think there was too much heart, bro. I think he had, what's his name in the Benicio del Toro one, uh, who's trying to buy the paintings, who just popped up in succession. Oh, Adrian Brody. Adrian Brody was talking some smack in there. I want to see Adrian Brody and other stuff. He was over there defending artists because you know what? Maybe they're really good artists. <laughs> so maybe we should keep these artists. Who cares if they've done something, if they made really great art? I feel that there is a lot of moments. Uh, there's a uh, Jeffrey Wright part where Jeffrey Wright's really um, good in this. he's very good in this movie. And I don't want to spoil some of the elements that he brings into it. But there's one part where Jeffrey is talking about uh, why he does what he does. And to me, it felt a lot of why like Wes Anderson and even the Benicio part as well, where he's like, don't ask me to describe what I do. And if what I do it this way, it's because that's the way I want it to be done. And that's how it should be. Um, but there's also elements where I know one of the biggest critiques that Wes has gotten is the fact that there's not enough minority characters. And there's a point in this movie where someone says, yes, there is a story that I don't think it should be pushed. And it's almost like Wes Anderson said, nah, do it. <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about. So I definitely think he wears his heart on his sleeve in this movie. I think he puts that within all of his characters. And again, I, I don't get bored with his visuals, man. I, re- I really don't. I-, I know some people did not like the cutting to the animation. I absolutely yeah. loved when they cut to the animation scenes. I thought they were hilarious. I thought they were funny. Um, I'm not saying that it's his best yeah. out of his filmography because he's got obviously a very great filmography. But I enjoyed it. It was only like you described it perfectly. The stop and go motion that the uh, the first one had mm-hmm. that kind of had me like, wait, what are we doing here? Yeah. Uh, and like, uh, you know, it. I really don't want to say that I disliked it. I didn't. I, I gave it three stars. I. It's just that I did find myself a little maybe exhausted, maybe overwhelmed is like the right word. Like it, it there is so much he's doing that it's a little like it, I, I kind of almost wanted a breather at some points, um, you know, it, I could see myself warming to this movie uh, after some time uh, to let it marinate. It's just that, like, on, on initial viewing, it was just so, um, yeah, it, it, it just sort of felt, like, so fussy uh, that I, I I didn't really respond to it the way that I wanted to. Because I, Wes Anderson really is one of my favorite filmmakers, like, easily mm-hmm. one of my favorite filmmakers ever. Uh, Deveshman asks, isn't it's abrupt... Uh, abruptivity uh, part of the point. I mean, perhaps, yeah, that is sort of the structure of it. And it is these articles, but even, even like an article in a magazine, you have to have like a concluding paragraph, right? Like you have to to end it. And a lot of times these stories sort of kind of just sort of come to a point where they, they take a break and and I I don't know. I mean, 
maybe Wes Anderson is just working on a level that I'm not able to analyze. Maybe the, <laughs> the reason that it constantly is shifting between black and white and color is because print magazines don't always have the budget to print every page in color. And that's like his weird in joke. I don't know. That's just me sort of trying to reason it out out loud. Um, yeah. it, it just was like so much that my, I felt my brain kind of, turning off because it didn't want to be working so hard and that that's like a weird response to me because i like when movies give me work it's just like it 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 is so so um textured and and, and fiddled with and uh to, to a yeah. point that i it distracted me maybe i can see that i'm curious to see what we think on our rewatches for it yeah uh, for sure. between this one and uh and the new um soho so yeah we'll see all right, though, uh, um, let's let's get to Ridley, my boy. Who let these two make a movie, bro? <laughs> this is one of the most epically goofy movies I've yes. seen. Yes. Where these two bozos literally came in. It's a serious story, though, and I will get there because I know some people don't like having any other discussion but a straightforward one. But look, these two came in. They read this story, a true story about this incident that happened, about the last duel that happened, you know, official last duel where two men fought to the death uh, to see who would be crowned their honor and who was right, who was wrong. It is a story that is told in three perspectives. Yes. You have Matt Damon playing this really good soldier. You got Adam Driver playing his buddy who makes it up the ranks higher than he does, but he doesn't have Matt Damon's girl played by Jodie Comer. Mm -hmm. Above all of this is the goofiest performance from Benjamin Affleck that I have seen in decades. It is amazing. His accent slips. Who cares? It's incredible. Who cares? You know you're watching this movie, and you know they're goofing off on set. And it turns out that there are several moments where one has to give a speech or kneel to the other, where they would literally ad-lib on set just to say, closer! And you, like, the first watch, before I knew any of that, you could just see it seething through the screen. Uh, I thought it was one of the goofiest movies in terms of the way that they told the perspectives. You had said the Rashomon uh, style of telling. Ridley came in because they hired Ridley to do it because he had worked with him on The Martian, um, Matt Damon. And they're like, we want you to do do that thing you do where you make it go through, um, where, where you are able to make it so expansive in this uh, old-timey world. He came in and he said that he wanted to do the Rashomon style, that he wanted to tell it in different perspectives. And I think the first act to the second act is hilarious, the way that you see Matt yes. Damon's point of view, the way that you see Adam Driver's point of view. When you first see Matt Damon and he tells everybody to go, I swore there was a second too long. And I was like, am I crazy? I swore he said, let's go, and nobody followed him. And then the way they play that off later is so good. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was going to love this movie completely. I, I'm iffy on that third act, Zach. Really? I don't want to be that person. But surprisingly, the more and more I think about it, there is elements to it that I think are just redundant. And I don't think are as strong as what they were setting it up to be. Because they are setting it up to whose perspective is correct. Yeah. Right? And then the end just kind of goes like, this perspective you're an idiot for thinking it's yeah it's this perspective yeah. and why I, would you even think it's anything else it's like because we just sat through two hours of that 
Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I don't like the choice to, um, there's this particular, uh, title screen that comes up and they do something with that title screen that I think undercuts some of the Rashomonic tension of the movie. I think within, yeah. I think the text of the movie is enough to tell you what the truth is without them having to outline what the truth is. Um, or have to show you twice. Uh, yes, I, yeah. Ultimately, I think that um, there was enough of those differences that I, I spotted that I uh, found it compelling. Yes, it does get a little bit redundant, but ultimately, like, I just thought there were so many entertaining moments and entertaining scenes, and I did really love how it was constantly kind of, like, undercutting itself. And th- what that says about the way that people like to portray themselves, right? Because it's not, it's not just a telling of the story. It's a telling of the story they want it to be told. Yeah. And I think that's that's what's really clever about how this is done. So mm-hmm. those those are really awesome uh th- those are really pleasurable aspects of this to me, but I also kind of liked where it headed and I I like that we do get this gladiator-esque final duel, which is really it's one fantastic. of the most brutal sequences that we've gotten in a in a movie like this in quite some time. It's it's really good. I think it ends in a really interesting place for its characters where, you know, you kind of want this sort of um, cathartic, redemptive moment where you get a big confession and everybody knows the truth. And it, and the movie, I think, plays it a little bit more realistically in that uh, bad people will will defend themselves until they can't anymore. Um, yeah. I, I see the movie's faults and I just kind of don't care because I had a really good time with it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think a lot of people came in thinking that like these two made up the story. I'm yeah. like, no, it's based off a it's based off a true story. This would have been the one yeah, where they wrote the first two acts exactly, and, and they, they very in intentionally the brought in Nicole Holof Center herself, a, <laughs> a really talented screenwriter, uh, to to lend uh, another perspective to what's going on here. So uh, again, I I very much enjoyed the movie. It was definitely one for the last duel that you needed to see in the uh, in a big screen for. Um, but I can see Cinefile Davis says people who don't see huge difference in the last two parts, red flags. I think if you see a difference in the last two parts, because it's the same scene. I, I don't think you need to see the second one. The first one got the point across. I think if anybody doesn't see the point across in the first one, I don't know. I, I, there's a more spoiler discussion that could be had. I think we I, it would be great to have a discussion with that, mm-hmm. um, especially when it comes out on VOD. Uh, because there's a bunch of clips. Again, it's so crazy to have a movie where so many movies in 2021, uh, they'll take place in the past, but you know that they're not like they're not speaking like they would back in the day. They're speaking with that 2021 writer's mindset. This movie was genius because when these bros are at the brothel, they are speaking not only like they would back in the day, but it's making an even stronger point about how they haven't changed. It's yes. still the same types yes. of dudes in power. That part of the movie is so, so, so good. It's just that it is playing this whose perspective do you believe in game? And then at the end, it's like, screw you yeah. if you think it's anything else. Ridley Scott, literally in one of the conferences, told the guy to F off for thinking it could be anything else. And I think that's where it like abruptly becomes a message movie Yeah. when you're living so much in the experience, like you said, of whose perspective and whose truth was there. Uh, and I think it was you didn't have to hold people's hand, like you said, with that title. Yeah. I, I think we got it. So and and this is maybe like a philosophical question then because like I kind of took the perspective of like I didn't like that choice so I'm going to ignore that it's there entirely and that's not 
what the movie like i can't pretend it's not in the movie but like ultimately it doesn't affect my uh, my enjoyment of it if that makes sense and like mm-hmm. like i don't know if that's philosophically like the right way to approach movies in general that if there's like a choice you don't agree with then like you can overlook it because there's all these other things there but like it is kind of my perspective here because it's it, it it just it's it's such a small choice that i don't ultimately think affects the actual like text of the film um that i don't know i'm i'm ignoring that aspect of it but maybe that's also something that would keep me from enjoying it as much as i might on a rewatch right fair yeah let's get to another one that i i uh am a big big fan of one that i'm very curious to see what your thoughts are because this one this one hit in a in a nice emotional spot made me feel things made me made me moved uh, let me know what you thought about Come On, Come On. Adorable. It's, it's beautiful. This is, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful, heartwarming movie. Look, I'm speaking as someone, you know, Mexicans do not get raised to be able to lie about having to go to the bathroom and then not go to the bathroom. That would not happen in a household like ours. Uh, but nonetheless, like you really had this very intimate relationship between these two uh, of an uncle who's a journalist. He's going around uh, different cities in America where he's interviewing people about certain aspects. And I really love those elements to it um, where he's actually talking to kids and trying to get their perspective of their towns, be it in Detroit, in New Orleans. Uh, and I really enjoyed those excerpts. I thought they added a lot to the movie. Yes, I'm. Um, and then how it's contrasted between uh, him taking care of his nephew. Uh, there's a whole backstory with Scoop McNary who plays his father um and just the the back and forth of how he's dealing with you know taking care of another person but also trying to respect them um and i think that those were probably the best parts of the movie and realizing that you don't just you know argue with a kid or yell at a kid but you try to connect with a kid Mm -hmm. and uh there's one of the interviews that happens in the new new orleans bit where one of the kids very quiet and there's one of the interviewers who's helping out with it who like encourages the kid in a way where he ends up opening up and says one of the best lines in the in the interview segment. So, um, nah, it was a pretty, really solid movie. Got the catch with the music box. Uh, I'm very, very curious to see how it opens up uh, and how it does when it goes wide. Devesh says he's very interested in this one. Who directed it and what else have they done? Uh, HBG also said, I love 20th Century Women. That is uh, probably director Mike Mills's most famous film thus far uh although he also did beginners which is the movie that won christopher Plummer an oscar a few years back um so he's kind of a director on the rise still still relatively uh new in terms of these these bigger films but uh definitely has like a type of movie in terms of these like um very, very kind of like outward looking uh films about like uh, youth and and growing up and and discovering the world. I really really appreciated uh, that element in Come On Come On. You know, um, I think the way in which he kind of draws uh, a parallel between being young and having a big world to learn about, and being older and having a having to learn about the world through a young person. Like that, they're both going through this type of experience at the same time yep. together was, was really uh, beautifully done. And uh, it touched me, you know, I, I, I'm very excited to see this one again. I, it, I don't know. It just, it, I, I was very much on this movie's vibe. It felt um, 
it was contemplative in the way that I like feeling, you know? Mm-hmm. I had a, a dude sitting next to me. He was by himself just eating his popcorn. And the moment that they say, come on, the man went. Like the <laughs> but they say, come on, come on, come on. So this man started going. <laughs> was like, you know, he, so he really liked the movie. Shout out to that man right there. Yeah. Um, do you recommend Beginners? I, I see I have it as a three-star here on Letterboxd. But I kind of have fonder memories of it than that. I may, might just bump that up to three and a half right now. Because I think Bro, it's a... I'd have to... I'd have to. Yeah, I was gonna just gonna to say. I think again. it's a. I think it's a pretty beautiful movie. I think there's a lot of. It's really good performances. Um, I you know it's been a few years since I I caught it, but you know I, another one of those movies that kind of makes you appreciate life in a weird way, and I, I like mm-hmm. uh, Mike Mills in that life affirming mode. Uh, Beginners always stands out to me because that was one of the last new movies that was at the blockbuster before they started shutting them down around me. Damn. Damn. Crazy so just, how a like, movie you know, can transport you, know, just, you like that. I just see it right there. Yeah. Well, the final ones that they had. Uh, let me wrap up the, 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 what would this be? The top five that I had. Uh, Great, Great Freedom? Freedom. Yeah. Yes. This, I believe, should have been one of the winners in terms of acting. It did end up getting the Gold Q Hugo Award because it's about this man. I believe it's like right after World War II. And he pretty much gets set up. He's at these public restrooms where they're, uh, you know, doing different activity hookup activity uh but they're capturing them they're filming them because it is illegal to be gay and so he goes to prison um he kills his performance uh if you've seen him in christian petzold's movies he's been in transit he's been in undine uh i'm really banking on friends getting some recognition in some of the awards uh the road to the oscars in some way i highly doubt it'd be an oscar but um i thought he killed it with this performance you really i mean that poster is just fantastic really sums up the movie um as you're following him not just in this prison but just trying to you know the way that he interacts with the different people who are around him i think he's one of the best actors that we have working today uh and i think this may be the best performance that he's given as you follow his turmoil um highly 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 recommend this one great freedom uh, another one that i thought was absolutely fantastic was parallel mothers this was the first one that i actually caught uh, in person for the fest and yeah. it's a pretty simple story of two mothers both give birth at the same time varying ages one is the daughter of a of a mom who's you know like getting back into acting she's really got this big role ahead of her and then uh penelope is a photographer whose partner works in archaeology so you have this very interesting mother story uh dealing with their kids and i don't know how much the trailer tells you but the connection that they have of having their kids at the same time um, but there's like this subplot. There's like what he actually wanted to make the movie about, which is uh, the the lineage and the certain things that the archaeologist gets into in this town that their story kind of just is like the the thing to get you into the theater. Mm-hmm. And then he's got that message that sits in the back. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I thought this was uh, full of fantastic performances. There was a bunch of, you know, just uh, really good tone shifts that they had throughout the movie. Um, <laughs> and the homie, Pedro, continues with his Nespresso sponsorship. I saw it once and I thought, okay, maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe he just hit it off. No, Tilda Swinton made an Nespresso in the short film, uh, Human Voice. They had the Nespresso pod in this one as well. My man's, my man's all in with the Nespresso. Maybe he's just a fan. He's just, he's just a fan of the product. He went to TIFF that one year. He saw how many they had, and now it's in every single one of his movies. So, dope. Uh, but no, I highly recommend that one. I hope it does pretty well. And I know that it didn't even get the nomination or the submission internationally. Yeah, from Spain. Because they ended up going with a comedy or something. So, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I have to see the other one. Yeah. 
uh, always a shame when uh, Almodovar doesn't get that kind of recognition given with what an icon he is. And this exactly. is, I think, like a, a really solid film from him, uh, you know, complex uh, in a way, but also, like you said, like just kind of a simple story about motherhood. Um, I, you know, there's definitely a lot below the surface to this film, but I don't know if you need to know all that to, to appreciate it. When I, when I talked about it, when I exactly. saw it at New York Film Festival a couple weeks ago, I, I talked about how there's all these elements about the Spanish Revo- the Spanish Civil War and, and the legacy of these families who have dead relatives that, like, I don't necessarily have the real-world knowledge to, to uh, really influence my opinion of what he's talking about, but it, clearly he, he has some bigger things on his mind than just the story exactly. of these uh, mothers who happen to uh, meet in a hospital room. Uh, and you would think it would have been heavy handed and it wasn't. I, that's yeah. why I was surprised so much because he like he'll shift to that heavier storyline. And I don't know. I felt it worked. I thought he did a really good job with it. Devesh asked any surprise, uh, any chance of a surprise Cruz nomination. I mean, she would deserve it for she sure. It. She is so good in Almodovar's movies. Um, I just don't see how a foreign film performance from a movie that doesn't even uh, have a submission from its country w- would really have a good chance at getting into the Oscar race. And, and part of, part of that is because uh, we're very America centric in terms of uh, the movies that end up getting nominated for, for the Oscars. But uh, part of it is, is also just like, it, it's not necessarily going to be like this huge splashy performance. That's like, you know, this is the Penelope Cruz performance to end all other Penelope Cruz performances. It's, it's another solid uh, turn from her in a not much of our work. Mm-hmm. Plus, seriously, and Eternals is going to get the nom. So, you know, there's that right there. Uh, my top three. I don't know if Mexico has chosen a submission. But damn, do I hope it's prayers for the stolen. This is a movie about these three girls. You're, you're following a main one, but it, it's really this group of girls who uh, they're living in this town where they got the you know the military, the government's coming in, but there's also all the drug lords, the cartels that are coming in. Which one's worse? I mean, they're really kind of victims to it all to the point that they have to cut their hair. That's how you see in the in the poster strip. Mm-hmm. They need to cut their hair because then that way they won't know whether they're a boy or a girl, and that way they don't get kidnapped. Um, they also work in the poppy seeds. The, the poppy fields. So they're the ones who are getting like all this opium and everything uh, as as a part of the way that they make their living because just the fields are completely filled with it. Uh, I thought this was a fantastic movie. When we were watching it at the beginning, we had a very small press theater and there was this dude who I'm pretty sure was you know Latin descent in some way and he was just riffing on Netflix. How much he hated Netflix. That Netflix wasn't allowed in Venice, but they brought the money and now now they've infiltrated all the film festivals because Cannes wasn't hosting it. All these different things. The man himself talked about a director who was getting like 80k. And how Netflix gave that director more more money. I'm like, I feel like you're answering your own question. He's venting like crazy. The movie begins. Guess what we hear, Zach? Ba-boom. <laughs> Y'all going to see this in two weeks on Netflix. Give it a watch. It is a Netflix original. And I hope it's Mexico submission uh, because the performances awesome. all around uh, were fantastic. And the story uh, was very well directed, very well done. And you even get a little cameo from my favorite uh, Mexican film from last year as well. Um, uh, non-identifying features. Damn. Uh, the the boy he's in here he plays the teacher so I was just like oh let's go talent talent knowing where to go uh, meeting in another good project but prayers for the stolen I highly 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 recommend it check it out yeah it looks like Netflix is killing it with these Mexican features too they had a uh, what's it from last year I'm no longer here I'm no longer here so yeah no they're doing a great job so I don't know what that guy was complaining about uh, what a goof. <laughs> 
my top two, Zach, I like I don't even know what to say about these movies. These movies I just want to watch. Yeah. I don't want to talk about them. I want to watch it. Almost, it almost it spoils it to uh try what and am I to say? over articulate <laughs> what you feel about movies like these. Zach, the worst person in the world won the Silver Hugo for best cinematography. They talked about it being shot in thirty five mil, how they use natural lighting for a bunch of the stuff, and the people love that. <laughs> time bit is all i'll say um you follow four years in the life of this uh, woman named julie she is not the worst person in the world no nope. right no she's she's <laughs> not pretty ordinary actually she's ordinary she's right but there is i don't know it's one of those journey movies you're following her along different elements of her life you have these discussions about you know the tech world and how different it was uh back in the day where you know we had tangible stuff we weren't passing down ideas remember we we're passing down things and uh, I found myself being old because I was like, yeah, wait, damn it. I'm the guy now. <laughs> um, these discussions of like, do you need to represent everything when you're talking about something as an artist? Do you show empathy? Do you not? I don't know. I thought it was a it was a fantastic movie that I want to I want to catch again and have a more. I don't even know if it's a spoiler talk with you, Zach. I, I just want to watch it with you, to be honest. Yeah. With you. you know, you just like do a movie date. Let's go. Uh, worst person in the world. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. Uh, I believe this is the official submission for its country, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it is going to be Norway's submission, and Neon has distribution rights already. So uh, you know Neon is going to put a arm and a leg behind that one. Neon, always with these uh, been killing it, really dude. strong slates, especially in the international field. Like they had Going back to the year that I they think. had Portrait and Parasite, Like they are just absolutely killing uh, the <laughs> international game. Uh, I see Titan. I see this making it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what else they got underneath them, but like, flea. They're gonna. It's Damn, good, bro! Good the, whole, for... the whole category neon. gonna be neon. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, okay. Um, yeah, I, I talked about this a bit when I saw it a couple weeks ago, but yeah, I absolutely adored this film. I love the way that it kind of. Uh, gives you the feeling of floating through her life the way that I think a lot of millennials feel like they sort of float through their own lives. You know, Uh, it's rare that a film is able to really capture romantic chemistry in a way that feels genuine. And this movie does that like with two different characters, which is so crazy and and speaks to the uh, amazing performances, particularly from Renate uh, Reynaive. I I don't know if I'm pronouncing that one uh, anymore, but like I, I now love this actress and want to see her in a lot more stuff. Uh, I cannot wait to watch this movie again. I, I, I don't know if I said this two weeks ago, I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but I, I watched the movie during my, digital four hour window and uh caitlin wasn't able to watch it with me because she was working and then like as soon as it ended i was like oh caitlin we just have to watch as much as we can during the rest of this four hour window because you are going to love this and you know she only caught a little bit of it but like now now i made her really excited and unfortunately we won't get a chance to watch it again until february because neon is putting out in february because because they they hate film fans uh despite distributing a lot of really good stuff no, that sucks, bro. I know, I know. I don't want to wait that nah. long. I don't hey, want to wait. But we told y'all to catch these damn film festivals mm-hmm. because some of these movies have these stupid release dates. Damn. Mm. No, and I was literally just about to tell you, the next time I'm seeing this, I think I'm going to see it in the theater. Yeah. So the fact that it's got to be February, damn. Okay. Hey, we'll keep y'all updated if, if another festival plays it. But yeah, no, Chicago would have been the spot to have seen it. $12? To catch one of the best movies to come for your own house? Nah, should have done that. The one that they didn't have virtually, I think Zach caught it virtually, but I went and I sat down for all three hours of this movie. 
another neon release. Was the best move of the fest. And I'm so what this one, the silver dude. I am so glad said, you we, vibed how many, with this. We, bro, we what a we said a twenty four who neon <laughs> has has just ran with it and it's unbelievable. I'm literally what was the interception that happened earlier this year? Literally just a couple weeks ago with a twenty four picking up pleasure, fumble in the bag, neon picking it up. One of our favorite movies out of Sundance. Now it's another neon movie. Damn neon. I'm about to just sign over to Neon. Right. The winner of the Silver Hugo is this three-hour movie called Drive My Car about a actor slash director who set a very good career. His wife is a playwright. They have a really good relationship. Uh, I don't know how much the the, the, the trailer says, but nonetheless, uh, he ends up taking a job in where because he's losing his vision, he gets a chauffeur to drive his car. There's all – probably the best director movie of the year. Oh yeah, I don't want to say anything else. It, it's three like, hours long. Go watch it, experience it, enjoy all the little subtleties in it, and then rewatch it again because we went home and we we're like, wait, the blocking in that one scene and that one character now understand. Fantastic. There's such a pleasure in this movie from knowing who these characters are and knowing what they mean to each other and, and watching them sort of gradually get to a place of mutual understanding through their dialogue, right? Like the, the main guy uh, ends up having a lot of, lot of conversations with this other man who play, who he has like significant information about and watching that dance of dialogue of these people who have um, these big secrets they're holding on to these big feelings that they can't quite rid themselves of. Um, is so well done and so uh, articulated in such a way that feel that resonates, that feels like real people. It, I was so immersed in just the 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 conversation of this movie and the and the the emotions that these characters are feeling in a way that feels rare. Uh, mm-hmm. y- you can really tell that Hamaguchi has a gift for this stuff. I believe he, he himself also comes from the theater and, and th- it's just, it shows, it shows in how the, these movies progress. It's, you know, it is a slow moving movie, but I don't know if I ever really felt bored. I kind of just, nope. I was kind of like in, it, it felt like it was on my wavelength and I, I like, I wanted to be talking to these characters and like living in those conversations. Mm-hmm. I cannot wait to see it again. Cause I don't know if I like, I can't tell you what the movie is really about. Um, there, there's so much in there and I, I think it, it, it deserves to be thought over and analyzed. Yeah. It, so I just, I just can't wait to the, for the chance to do it again. You know, it's, it's a really beautiful movie. Um, and and then on top of that, like we had said, uh, I need to go back and revisit or actually watch Asoka one and two, which he did, I believe. Those are in Criterion. But he also did Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, which I think yeah. our, our link is still live. I still haven't caught that one. Zach oh, told me dude, this so man. Good. It's this so man good. had two movies at the fest. Yeah. Two movies. So and they're both uh, bangers. So I, yeah, I'm just really excited to. Uh, one, catch that one, catch this one again because there was a lot in it that I, I, I very much enjoyed. And just the fact that it's not just – he's – there's like three different languages in this as mm-hmm. well. Uh, not just uh, – what is it? Japanese. I believe someone speaks Korean. There's some English. And then there's Korean sign, sign language, language as well. Yeah. There, there's so much going on in yeah. this movie. Um and I, I very much enjoyed it. I this is also one of those movies that hits you with the with the credits like 45 minutes in. It's just like, ah, it's so good. It's Bro, so good. It did that. 
I, I just looked at each other like, this the one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, drive my car, hands down. Uh, my favorite out of the fest, but a, a really good fest altogether. I know that there was a lot of movies that I wasn't still able to catch. Um, but nonetheless, shout out to the festival. They also, you know, they had this whole little thing that they were doing. Had their little director's cut coffee that they were working with. Um, it was all right. But, <laughs> you know, Dark Matter, for those of you in Chicago, also had like, it was a whole combo pack where they had, uh, they even gave me this little, little chill thing, you know, to go with it. Uh, sneaking into the theater, I guess. Coffee cold cans, all this stuff. So I was all coffeeed out, ready to go to watch all these movies that were three hours and something long. But there was still so many more to catch. Um, I know someone had mentioned Mad Dog. Um, that one's still on my list. I really want to catch that. There were uh, a couple of – Mad God, I don't know if you've heard about that one. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's this uh, I think animation. you said dog. Maybe I misheard you, but – Oh, sorry. Well, another one would have been Power of the Dog. That's one that I still need to catch that I know is going to be coming out on Netflix. Memorial was the big winner. I did not get to go catch that one. Um, And if I don't catch it in its theatrical uh, uh, parade, I guess I'll never catch it. Damn you, Neon. You know what? I hate Neon. Forget Neon. All the homies hate Neon. But uh, yeah, no, there's still several movies that uh, I want to catch. A cop movie. Haven't been able to catch that, but I know that's on Netflix right now. Heard very good things about that. So overall, just a... It's a pretty solid lineup for the fest, and uh, hey, I got the fest bug again, man. I know, right? <laughs> I love virtual fest. I what? know, and like I, we nothing beats going back. Like we've been doing these virtual fests, and it's been a lot of fun. It's really cool to have that access. I love the virtual festivals. Nothing quite being like at a film festival in person. There's there's nothing quite I, like the atmosphere, the feeling, just that the collective uh, experience of watching something new and and falling in love with it just like the chatter on your way out when you when you're in a great movie and you can tell that everybody else loves it too yeah can't beat it i i hope to see you at sundance man i hope i hope we can make that happen (laughs) like jack bro we have to go back we have to go back (laughs) uh all right uh maybe we have time Uh, to answer a couple quick questions here before we get to our picks for the week so uh hit us with your questions for the interview if you've got any leave them in that uh the live stream comments and a reminder to the people listening to this later watching this later that uh you can always email us integratepod at gmail.com to send in some questions that we will answer on the following week's show uh hit us up on social media i'm happy to uh take questions from our social media especially twitter twitter is really easy uh but also a quick shout out to those of you who are producer level patrons on our patreon we thank you so much for continuing to support the show y'all are great cademan da zapata ewan tushar and of course the producer level contributor awkward uh thanks so much for all of your continued support on the Patreon, and a reminder, you can head over to patreon.com slash intercutpod to support the show for as little as $1 a month, and supporting the show for as little as $1 a month gives you access to our monthly hangouts, which will be happening later tonight after the stream. So if you want to come hang, throw us us some questions, play a little bit of Cineclash with me and Art, uh, you just got to go head over to Intercut's Patreon or... Uh, let me explain's Patreon and drop in a little bit, uh, drop in a donation and we'll send you that link. So that's that out of the way. Let's get to some questions. First one here is from Cinephile Davis. If either of us are watching the show Dr. Brain, it's a Korean Apple TV plus show from the director of I yeah. Saw the Devil. 
I, I have you heard about this? I actually don't have this on my radar. I've heard about this. I know because we have talked about how Apple is the best one when it comes to screeners. You boot them up. All of them are in 4K, mm-hmm. and all of the episodes are there. Absolutely don't even fantastic. have to ask for it. It's awesome. Don't have to ask for it. it. You know, you're getting it in the best possible quality. And I saw all that was there, and I looked it up, and I saw it was from the guy who did. I saw the devil. Um, I don't even have an excuse for it to wait to rep. I got to start it. Uh, so I have heard about it. I don't know if you started watching any of the episodes, if you recommend it, but uh, that is definitely on my radar. That's one of the ones that I'm going to binge. Uh, in terms of A24 The Island, I don't know what that is. But it is the island that let me know that A24 does virtual screeners for all of their stuff because the island was on their virtual screener template thing Mm -hmm. for their app. So damn you, A24, back on the neon train. Neon's always hugging up with whatever we need. (laughs) Um, Um, I I don't know what A24 is. They they just do all this different stuff. they just seem to kind of try a bunch of stuff to to just get people involved i don't get it i don't really understand somebody out there watch the island and tell us because i don't know if i can waste my time with that uh devesh asked did you finish only murders in the building any thoughts yes um of course i finished only murders in the building uh i don't know if you've noticed this uh only murders is actually quite the hit uh, Hulu says it's now its most watched comedy ever, which awesome for Steve Martin, Martin Short. You know, I, I'm I'm really happy to okay. to see them in a massively successful show and uh, to see a show that, that I really sense. enjoy uh, get this kind of you know response because means we're just going to get more of it. You know, and they, they've already confirmed that second season. I think they actually are starting to shoot that second season now, so that's exciting. More than Palm Springs. Uh, well, series, not movie. Okay, okay, series. Yeah. Okay, no, that makes sense. Um, but as for the end of the first season, I thought it was excellent. I thought it, it maintained its quality. You know, it still is kind of a tonal grab bag of a show because at, at one scene it'll be a bit slapstick and then another scene it'll be this murder mystery and then another scene it's kind of like this this pithy conversational humor. Um, and, and I, But I don't really feel like it ever hits a false note when it's juggling those different ideas. I, I just really enjoy it. And I think a lot of it comes down to just having a really talented uh, cast of performers, most notably Martin Short and Steve Martin, like Steve Martin, one of our most gifted comic comic actors of all time. And he gets to do like a whole slapstick bit with the elevator in the finale that, that cracked me up. Uh, I really love that first season of Only Murders in the Building. I'm, I'm very glad that they're uh, making more of it. What, did you finish it, or are you still uh, working your way through? No, I'm I'm literally the episode right before the one that you said is done all in uh, ASL. So I still got a, a good chunk, a good run to nice. finish it. But I get a lot of recommendations for that, so good to know that it wraps up well. And I had no idea there was a season two, so cool. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Uh, I like what Connor brought up. Uh, I didn't even think about kind of connecting it to Columbus. Like, it's not exactly there. Yeah. But as big fans of Columbus, I, I kind of see what you – Well, there's I like say, that, yeah, be excited. That that conversational, excited. contemplative nature that's sort of just like exploring some like philosophical ideas but not in necessarily like a pretentious, heady way. Um, yeah. I, I, there's similarities certainly to be drawn between Columbus and Drive My Car. So I and like in that. the blocking. One of my favorite scenes in Columbus is when they're walking and there's the the fences like right between them. And the more that they get to know each other, they end up right in the gateway right next to each other. There's a lot of beautiful blocking that's done, especially inside the car uh, for the movie Drive My Car. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, <laughs> I think you're, you're really going to like it. Yeah. HBG asks us, do you guys know anything of Park, Park Chan-wook's next movie and TV project? I believe the TV project stars Robert Downey Jr. That's basically all I know about it, is that Robert Downey Jr. is attached to the TV project, which sounds awesome. I mean, it's weird to think of Robert Downey Jr. doing a TV project in the first place, given he's like one of our biggest movie stars. But I'm very excited to see Robert Downey Jr. like become an actor again after after spending a decade on autopilot as Tony well, Stark. Uh, he, he talked just, all that smack. He just booked that Chris Nolan movie, which, granted, that's not an indie movie, so it's the, he's not going to have to sit on any Apple boxes like he complained about in that one interview. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and I also don't think it, that, that's really going to be Chenwick Park's next vibe either, but uh, it, I, he's a great director. Um, I wonder even if the, the reception to Bong Joon-ho uh, potentially... Makes Park Chan Wook's next project um, a little bit more high profile. Maybe whoever is behind it will feel a little bit more comfortable advertising it as like this big thing because we've already seen the breakout success of something like Parasite, uh, mm-hmm. and and even now you can even say Squid Game too uh, to add to the whole like Korean crossover drama. Sheesh, um, bro, Squid Game just changed so much for so many people. Yeah, uh, just praying for proper subtitles. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so, yeah, very curious to see what ends up coming from Park Chan. Look, do we have any more uh, questions here? Um, I've seen the vest had asked about Spider-Man and Batman, how tiring it's got at this point. Look, I, I personally am excited, uh, especially when you deal with Marvel movies. You know, you can't criticize the one without them telling you that you hate all of them. But then you come back and you love one and then it's like, wow, you just love all of this garbage. It's never a really nuanced conversation. But when it comes to Spider-Man in particular, I, I enjoyed Homecoming. Not a big fan of Far From Home. I have been anticipating what they keep hyping up for this movie. This idea of this Spider-Verse is like second to Avengers vs. X-Men to me. Uh, so I am beyond excited. I don't want to be disappointed. My heart has not been this open since The Dark Knight Rises, but I'm willing to take it all. They just dropped that new poster. Uh, I, oof. Uh, in terms of Batman, uh, I had just finished working on a video for Injustice, so I am looking forward to good Batman stuff. And I don't know if you've seen the trailers for The Batman, Zach. That score is so good. I am very excited for that movie. I think Robert or uh, uh, Robert Pattinson. I think he looks so goofy as Batman, and when he yells, it makes me laugh. Nonetheless, I'm so excited to see him don the cape. So, yeah, I mean, l- like anything, you know, I'm tired of bad versions of it, and I'm excited for good versions of it. Uh, the Batman looks like it's going to be pretty good from from early looks from the yeah. trailers. I- I'm liking the vibes. I love the Riddler, it. man. Um, and, and thus far, like I've been mostly okay with the Spider-Man stuff. I mean, it seems kind of exciting, but, um, I can see, you know, the, the same way that I kind of am a little bit tired of getting the deluge of Marvel stuff. I'm a little like, I, I get superheroed out quite often. Um, granted because Spider-Man and Batman are these gigantic properties, they tend to, they tend to try and treat them carefully and, and not go into those projects like big bro th- without their, uh, without the right people attached to it. Like, mm-hmm. so usually I, I, usually I'm there for those projects. I have faith. Who's your favorite out of three? Spider-Man. Uh huh. I mean, you know, isn't it, don't you always fall in love with your first? 
Toby game. All right, let's see what else we got. Uh, Eli, I'm trying to pull up Eli's comments, but Ecam is being annoying to me. Uh, oh, there we go. Eli asks, have either of you caught the sadness? I caught it beyond fest and it's a trip. Uh, I missed it. Did you catch that one? I played at Chicago. It was a night showing. I did not get to go to it, but I heard that it is crazy. So I'm going to take your recommendation, Eli, because that was the whole thing that was supposed to be super gory. So I am looking forward to that one. (laughs) Pink Sweets asks if we have uh, seen the Chucky TV show. I haven't seen it. I saw that a bunch of critics were sent uh, Chucky dolls, though, and I'm I'm a little bit jealous. Uh, Although I feel like that would just end up being like a play toy for my dog if they sent me one. Uh, but people seem to yeah, actually like. Yeah. People seem to actually be liking the Chucky show. I'm I'm looking forward to it because I know that the uh, the Chucky franchise has been split. You got the main guy who's still carrying it through, and I believe this show is still under him. But then you had that Aubrey Plaza one where Mark Hamill voiced Chucky, where they had to do a whole redesign. That's the company trying to continue the franchise without this dude. So I am uh, I'm waiting for it to wrap up, and I'm excited to to visit the series. Uh. And then finally we got from – oh, wait, never mind. Uh, that was earlier. Uh, Magnitude asked us if we've checked out Arcane. Uh, I haven't. I don't know about you. People are hyping this thing up. So I looked at it. I was like, oh, it's like a League of Legends. You know, just there's – Netflix sometimes does like these different things. You know, they had a Resident Evil one that was kind of like an animated thing. I did not realize the hype behind this one. They're releasing it on a weekly basis. Uh, Alina saw the first episode. She said it wasn't that bad. So this is one that I guess I'm going to have to uh, check out and keep on my radar. So I don't know if you caught the first three episodes, if you've heard good things. Um, I, I never played League of Legends, so. Oh, yeah. Me either. I don't know how deep into it gets. Yeah. Uh, What's the matter asked if we caught We Are All Going to the World's Fair. We actually uh, reviewed it during our our Sundance Sundance. episode. So you can go back to, I think it was in the midnight category. Or maybe maybe it was next, probably midnight. uh, And check out our thoughts there. I think we were on the same page in that uh, we didn't respond as highly as a lot of people did. Like It really was one of the big, buzzy movies out of Sundance, and I was a little underwhelmed. I think there's a lot of interesting ideas in it, but ultimately, like uh, it just kind of felt a little bit like min- minimal in its ex- execution. Mm, I could see that. I think I liked it a little bit more than you did. I liked mm-hmm. the vibe that it went for. I think it definitely felt like this is exactly how whatever this thing is would work within an internet environment. I thought they got mm-hmm. the tone down right. I, you just get lost in it a little bit and you're like, yeah. Wait, what's going on now? Where are we getting to the next thing? Uh, but that is one that I'm curious to revisit. It yeah. played somewhere near recently as mm-hmm. well, so I know that it's... It's been doing hey, the festival I'm, rounds. Sure, since Sundance, so I mean, the whole year. It's been doing a great yeah. job. I think it was maybe a little bit too committed to its visual style for me, right? Like it was. Yes, but I don't see that as a bad thing. Like yeah. even if it doesn't work for me, I was like, you know what? Shout out to y'all. Like you did your thing. So, yeah. but but I, I get what you mean. Yeah, and and the I believe the director Jane Showbrun or something like that uh, just signed on to a project with Emma Stone. So yo, maybe worth I, catching the movie just to see you know what's coming next. I guess. Dope. Yeah. I think we'll just do this one last question and then head into our picks for the week. But uh, Devesh asked, are there any directors whose filmography are a goldmine? I literally only just heard about Wong Kar Wai and am absolutely fascinated by this guy. Uh, yeah, that's a, it's a pretty cool question because, like, one of the benefits of, you know, 
not necessarily knowing the whole world of film history is that then you can go back and, and, you know, fall in love with the director and you have 20, 30 movies to work your way through. Um, I, I don't know about you, if there's anybody that comes to mind, uh, for you, like uh, other than maybe some of the obvious choices I know Hitchcock. for me. Uh, yeah. I mean, Hitchcock is obviously a, a, a gold mine. Uh, I, something that I've been challenging myself to do is to catch a lot more, um, silent era comedies because i think there's just such an ingenuity in terms of the humor and the the way they're filmed uh you know i I, i've been working my way through both uh through through charlie chaplin's films through harold lloyd's films through buster keaton's films uh luckily a lot of them are available on hbo max particularly the chaplin films there's so many up on hbo max right now so it's just a really nice uh way to like check in with something that is obviously integral to uh, the progression of the medium, but like is also genuinely really good. Like, you know, I think people sometimes view going back to silent comedies as like this big obstacle because you don't get the modern sensibilities, the modern uh, cutting and whatever, but like the performances are just so amazing and on a level beyond what we get from our modern day performers. The, 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 mm-hmm the lengths it's like Jackie Chan ish, the stuff that they're always doing. Um, I don't know. I, I really love, uh, I, I really loved spending some time on those older films. Uh, as it's also like a nice palate cleanser, uh, mm-hmm. given how we're always just like w- binging these, these new releases. So, yeah. All right. So, uh, we are going to wrap this up with our picks for the week, give you some recommendations in the new to see uh, things that have just come out or are newly released. So art, where do you want to start us off in new to see? Uh, well, we have a theatrical, we have a Netflix one. If you are staying home, I would say boot up your Netflix and catch one of my personal favorites out of Sundance, which was passing. This is the Rebecca Hall directed uh, movie adaptation of the novella, from probably what is it like a hundred years ago? Yeah. Um, about these two women who pass, meaning that they, you know, they get they're they're black, but they are able to pass as white. A lot has been said about the cinematography. They have admitted, you know, yeah, it, it was a trick used to be able to get a lot uh, across the screen, especially for Tessa. Um, but I really enjoyed the performances. I was really surprised with her directing, and I think it is a super solid movie that. Um, did its rounds throughout all the festivals and now that it's coming to netflix i'd say it's definitely worth the watch uh i'm hoping to maybe catch it in theaters because i i want to see it um probably like at a landmark projected up uh and i also want to go back and read the book because it's a pretty short book it's not too long Mm -hmm. and i definitely recommend listening to uh rebecca hall's interviews that she's done throughout kind of breaking down her history um and her upbringing and her connection to the story but uh yeah i definitely put this one on your radar if you got a netflix account this one will be streaming i believe come this weekend it's gonna Uh, be uh in on wednesday actually november 10th wow look at that all right there you go couple days um i on november 11th though the following day (laughs) will be in the theaters revisiting for whatever reason the director's cut of rocky (laughs) four 30 minutes of never before seen footage. Wow. In this one night only Fathom Event, Zach. Uh, <laughs> I'm a big Rocky fan. 
the Rocky Four is on HBO Max right now, so uh, I am not rewatching it yet. I'm gonna go watch, see what the 30 minutes are, and then you know, try to compare, probably make a video on it. I am really hoping that I don't know. I'm kind of conflicted in this because this is the one where they fight uh, right before him and Apollo. Yeah, and they freeze frame it and they don't show you who wins. I'm kind of torn. I don't know if I want to know <laughs> that I am excited to see what could possibly be 30 minutes of uncut uh, content that they've just like stored away. I got my tickets booked. This thing sold out all around me. <laughs> I'm excited, bro. I had to move a play I had that night. I am watching Carrie Coon in 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 uh, a theater production of Bug, oh, and I had no. to move the Carrie Coon because she'll still be there. I had to, I had to move it because this Yo, I'm so thing. jealous of you. Carrie Carrie Coon in her husband's play, damn! In her husband's play, bro, I I can't wait. I'm so excited to see that. But I don't know if I'm more excited to see Rocky. <laughs> Those are my picks for the week. Yeah, uh, I will. Hey, you get? I will second the pick of passing, uh, which I, I was also one of my favorites out of Sundance. I think it's a a fascinating movie, and even beyond uh, the the element of. Uh, passing and skin color, which is sort of like the center of the movie. Uh, there's all these really interesting elements of like jealousy and, and, and like uh, resentment and, and that what that does under the surface of, uh, of you uh, that I found was really interesting. I kind of want to give this one uh, another watch because I've also heard they've changed the cut since we saw it at Sundance. And I know uh, that you and a few other people uh, were not as... I, I was also a little bit like... Uh, puzzled by the ending of it. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see if they like smooth me, that out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious to check it out again. Uh, we do have a comment from pink sweets who said that she hated passing. So look, there, there is uh, conflicted feelings about this movie for sure. And a lot of good writing about the movie. That's one of the advantages of the advantages of it, having already done the festival circuit. So I would recommend, I would recommend watching it and I would recommend reading more about it too. Um, but I have another recommendation, which believe is available on VOD already, and that is One Shot. Uh, it, it is a it is a movie that is what its title says. It is what its title says in that this entire film is done in one shot. It's a film about uh, this elite squad okay. of Navy SEALs who. Uh, lead an extraction mission uh, to to retrieve a prisoner from a CIA black site uh, when the CIA black site is attacked by a group of terrorists. Um, you know, this is their one shot to get them out, and they're going to do it all in one shot. Um, it, it, it the plot isn't that interesting and isn't that uh, you know textured or or dynamic. You know, it's very it's a very basic like army guy has to solve has to finish the mission thing but what is really cool here is it's done with enough ingenuity and enough uh cleverness that it remains engaging throughout and it remains interesting it's not one of those one-shot movies where you feel them straining to make it work where you feel them looking for places to add artificial cuts this really does like i i think they genuinely did most of this movie in one shot there there are a couple places where there's probably were some cuts but like 
the way that the camera sort of dances around the action is so smartly done. It's obviously done by a guy who has a knack for how filmed action is going to look um, because it, it's just showing you the elements you need. It When it transitions from one character to a different character, it doesn't really feel like the whole movie shifting. It's kind of like it, it fo- it's following the path of action in a way that feels really immersive kind of um there's a moment in this movie about halfway through where one of the characters gets put into a holding cell and locked in there and the camera follows him in there and then an action sequence starts outside the cell so they film the whole thing from behind the wiring and it's so it's such a silly fun immersive choice the kind of you know clever filmmaking thing that you just would never see in a movie like eternals i i loved those elements of it, you know, it's, it's not like, um, a, gonna be a very deep, uh, story that like makes you think differently about things. There's probably some, the d- dumb cliches, uh, that me, that don't really, uh, hold up on like scrutiny, but the action is really satisfying. It's visceral. It's, it's, it's awesome. Uh, it's really well done. I just, I, very, very much delivers on that front. And it's probably one of the better one-shot films that I've seen. Um, maybe not maybe not Birdman, but but it's up there. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's about it for uh, this episode of the Intercut Podcast. We are going to hop over to our monthly hangout. So uh, hopefully we'll see some of y'all there. But thanks to, for joining us, those of you who did join us. Uh Let's see if there's. I don't know if there's any other questions we can hit on our way out, but um, otherwise I'll pull. Magnitude just wanted to know uh, how good Rocky Two was and why he should be watching Rocky Two because he's got the whole collection, but homie hasn't seen any of them. How about Rocky Two? It's got the best part of Rocky One, which is the ending in the intro, and then it's Rocky Two, which is the best one. <laughs> and I agree. Don't want to try. Five is actually no. I just skip five. <laughs> And I go straight to Bebo. There you go. There you go. All right. So that's it for this episode. Uh, that's it for this week's show. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd, at ZShevich. And uh, Art, where can people find more from you? You can find me over at LME Explained. You can find me on Thursday watching the Rocky Four Cut with the 30 minutes of glorious footage that are going to be showing. And soon, in a 143 IMAX theater, hoping to ca- finally catch the version of Dude I should be catching. Uh and then talking about it here on the Intercut Podcast. You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. I like Overcast. And then make sure you're subscribed not just to the audio podcast, but to the video feed as well on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash intercutpod, where you can catch our bright, smiling faces as you run through the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of Intercut every Monday and please leave us a comment like the video consider heading over to iTunes to give us a much requested five star review shout out to our listeners in Vietnam I saw y'all in the comments earlier shouts to Connor Uh, we really appreciate that Uh, and yeah thanks for listening to us it helps us get on the film and TV podcast charts like our Facebook Instagram and Twitter pages support our Patreon all of them are at intricate pod to get updates throughout the week from art from me from all of our guests here on Intercut. Thanks again, and until next time on the adventures of Little Lord Fuckleroy. (laughs) 